0: Now, it is not to produce a sweet disposition, integrity, or produce insight in the Scripture. It is not to produce a great devotional life. I don't know anyone who had a greater devotional life. I was referring back there to Anna again. Even prophecy and other words of power. The Old Testament prophets prophesied. Mary and Elizabeth prophesied. Zacharias prophesied. These are all the workings of the Holy Spirit. But they can happen apart from the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now, how many of you understand the separation I made? If I see your hands, you understand That's very important you understand. These are two different things all Here's insight, but you need to be filled. Baptized. Empowered. All right? Here's good life, but you need to be. Here's merit, but you need to be. Here's what you need to be. Here's all these mighty prophets in the Old Testament. Fine. You have not received the promise. I reserve that for another age. This is our age. It's unto you, your children, far off even as many as the Lord our God, shall call. The purpose of the baptism in the Holy Spirit is, I want you to hear this, is power. P-O-W-E-R. Power. Most people can be trained to find out what their dream is. Most people can get a glimpse of what God cut them out to be after a while. I believe this is what God wants in my life. Most people can see themselves accomplishing it in some imaginative way. But I want to tell you that in this world, most Christians never carry out their dreams. That's why I've said to you that most Christians at the age of 40 are frustrated, sour, faithless people that have lost their vision and lost their sense of adventure and lost their sense of joy in the Holy Spirit because they do not have the power in their lives to accomplish those dreams which God gave them to accomplish. If God told you to go into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature, then there is power enough to do it if you draw upon that power. If God gave you a dream to build a church somewhere, then there's power enough to build that church if you draw upon that power. If God told you to feed the poor, reach out to the lame, the maimed, the halt, and the blind, or the aged, or to deal with this thing or that thing in the church, then I tell you, there is enough to do it if you call upon that power. But you must allow yourself to be endued with power. The word in the Greek is clothed with power. The word baptism means saturated, soaked, dipped, or died with power. Because without power, you will never carry out those things at all. Now, in this world, a man can determine to do something, Friends, I'll determine to build a company or I'll determine to take a trip around the world or I'll determine to climb that mountain or I'll determine to... And if it's a small thing, a limited thing, he can do it with his human power mostly. Although many fall short of that too. And their dreams are destroyed. Some men of great physical force and great mind can do certain things. But to do all of the things that God asks us to do, to be all the things that God asks us to be, to accomplish all of the things that God asks us to accomplish, it will only be done by a power greater than your power. A power greater than all of the people here combined together. A power greater than all of the people on this earth that are church people combined together. It will only be done not by might of human power. Not by the power of human organization, Zechariah. Not by might, not by power, but by my spirit, saith the Lord is how these things will come to pass. See, it is the endowment of power that we need to translate us from people that, oh, i pray prayed for my life into these is that which was spoken by the prophet Joel. It is that which translates us from people who run and say, I curse and deny, I never knew Him at all, to one who can say, I know Him, He is my Lord, and you need to repent. What is it that produces that? The word is, say it with me, power. No, say it loud. Power. Not your power. The power of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit came upon them, and they spoke as God gave them utterance. How many of you have experienced this power? How many of you would like to experience about ten times as much of it? That's right. Hallelujah. Now, just receiving one touch... It's not enough. There must be a way, and that's why I spoke to you about building yourself up in the Holy Ghost, praying in the Holy Ghost, walking in the Holy Spirit, yielding to the Holy Spirit. See, letting the Holy Spirit build in you until every fiber of your being is beginning to be moved with an ever greater movement of the power of the Holy Spirit. The person is someone we can know. The power is something he gives. Just like the person is someone I know, the gift is what he gives. See, we want those gifts, we want that power from that person. Who dwells in us and makes Christ real. All right. Now, purpose of the baptism is power. Luke twenty four, forty five. I'm going to read it to you again. You already have it there, but I'll read it to you again. Forty-five to forty nine. He opened our minds to understand the scriptures. I said about Peter. Then he said to them, Thus it is written that Christ should suffer and rise again. Repentance and forgiveness of sins should be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. What a charge he gave them. Hallelujah. And that wasn't going to be accomplished by a bunch of poor men in Jerusalem, frightened for their lives, hiding out. It was going to be accomplished by men and women of power. Hallelujah. Then it didn't matter. Where would the money come from? Why well, the gold and the silver and the cattle on a thousand hills are all gods. And if you've got the power, he'll give it to you. Hallelujah. Say, Lord, I believe. See, and if God says, well, then you can have anything that you want. Oh, Lord, I wish that you could do this, but I don't know where we're going to get it. And if you, oh, Lord, I, uh... see, that's the lack of power. Now, believe me, you are no match for Satan in your own power. You're no match for Satan in your own name. Boy, you're coming against James Durkin, Satan. You know what that means, don't you? Well, that means James Durkin will get flattened out in about two seconds. See? Yes, I have no power against so powerful a being a Satan. But I tell you something. When we know whom God has said, I will give you. And you can then begin to pray that God will do you with power. Then you stand up and say, I'm full of power by the Holy Spirit. And that's what the Bible speaks. I'm full of power by the Holy Spirit. See, power is the answer here. Not brains, not organizational skill. Now we'll get together something, we'll work charitably here, and then we'll build a building over here, and then we'll create a training center, and it will put out the right kind of knowledge and so forth and so on. Then we will send people out, and then we will, it's very clever, all the things that we're doing. It is power that makes all those things happen. See, it is to be sure all of those things are essential and important. I don't put them down. You've heard me hold them up very highly. The heart to reach the sick and the lame, the maimed, the hall, the heart to teach the church, the heart to equip the saints. But it will never be done. It will all come to naught unless it is preached with power, received with power, organized with power, and carried out with power. Because out there Satan is hitting you boom, 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 every step of the way, and what you need is the power of the Holy Ghost. It said, back up Satan, in the name of Jesus. And he has to back up. See? Hallelujah. All right, Acts one, seven and eight. Some of these we already looked at, I want to look at them again. Because I want you to see this emphasizing over and over of that word power. Remember, he's not dealing here with the fruit of the Spirit. He's not saying, I want you to go out and be good people. Paul will deal with that later in his proper place. Acts 1, 7, and 8. It is not for you to know the times and the epics which the Father has fixed by His own authority, but you shall receive power. And who knows in the Greek what that word is? Dunamis. Where do we get our word dynamite, dynamo, dynamic? Dunamis. See, there's different types of power. For instance, like if you have a heavy weight resting upon something, there's a power pushing that downward. That's not dunamis. It's static power. Or if you look at a car, and it's sitting there, and here's this power plant turning. Or maybe it's off at this point. Say, man, that's 318 horses under that hood, or whatever it would happen to be. That is residual power. That is potential power. That's possible power. But what the Bible is speaking about here is something residing in us, a person, and that person gives us something that the Bible speaks of as dunamis, that dynamic force or moving power which when we come against the enemy, it's like, vroom! And the enemy is scattered in front of it. He cannot resist the power by which he spake. We'll get to this in this proper time. Could not resist the power. See, here they are. I can prove by logic, I can prove this. Vroom! See? and blew the adversaries away. The only thing they could do, talking about Stephen, is kill him. And that was by God's will. Then they tried to kill Paul years later. Couldn't kill him until it was God's time that he should be martyred. See, well, we'll kill him. Oh, he's gone. Why well, kill him? I can't find him. Or here's Christ. We'll kill him. Can't do it. Not till the time, because he was filled with power from on high. You need to be filled with power from on high. I need to be filled. The whole church needs to be filled with power from on high. Not touched by the Spirit. Not moved by the Spirit. Not enlightened by the Spirit. Not have our dispositions sweetened by the Spirit, fruits of the Spirit. All of those things to be sure. But along with it, The one thing that brings it all together, I want you to be clothed with power from on high. Hallelujah. Turn with me please now to Acts 4. Skipping over Acts 2 for a second here, we'll come back to it in its proper time. You may wonder why I'm not touching on it. We'll come back to it. Acts 4, and we're going to look at verse 1. We're going to go through certain things here. We're going to skip some verses. I'd like you to read this whole chapter when you have time, please. We're going to read Acts 4, 1 to 3. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple guard and the Sadducees came upon them. And being greatly disturbed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead, they laid hands on them and put them in jail until the next day, for it was already evening. God allowed this. They understood it. Apostles. Verse 7. And when they had placed him in the center, they bring him out of jail now the next day, placed him in the center, they began to inquire, by what power or in what name have you done this? Then Peter filled with the Holy Spirit. There was the power out of him. Now, he'll speak about the power that he healed in, which would be the name of Jesus. But what was the power by which he preached in? That was the power of the Holy Spirit. So it immediately says, it doesn't say Peter gets up and he says this, Peter filled with the Holy Spirit, said they always drawing back on the source of that power. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, rulers and elders of the people, if we are on trial today for a benefit done to a sick man, as to how this man has been made well, let it be known to all of you and to all the people of Israel that by the name of Jesus Christ the Nazarene, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by this name this man stands here before you in good health. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, uh, it got pretty hot in there, I can tell you. And that took power to say that either. You know, I said, now, you know, folks, I, I know that you didn't really know what you were doing. And uh, I'm just trying to point this out to you. That Don't you see he was healed? And there must be something really working here, folks. And uh, I just say it to you real courteously and nicely so you don't get blown out at me. Or, you know, we're the church. And you, the builders, are say, pretty heavy. That took power. He is the stone which was rejected by you, the builders, but which became the very cornerstone. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven which has been given among men by which we must be saved. Now as they observed the confidence of Peter and John and understood that they were uneducated and untrained men, they were marveling and began to recognize them as having been with Jesus. Hallelujah. That's what the power does. Makes it very clear by what name you speak. That when you speak that name, there is authority in the speaking of that name. And seeing the man who had been healed standing with them, they had nothing to say in reply. Isn't that a marvelous? All oh, their enemies. Jesus said, I'll bring you before the Sanhedrin and courts and rulers, and you will give you a word of testimony, and when you've spoken, they will have nothing to say to you. All right, they had nothing to say to them. Didn't know what to say. Verse 17, they speak now to them and say, listen, we hear what you say. We're not going to kill you this time. Don't you ever speak about this name again. But in order that it may not spread any further among the people, let us warn them to speak no more to any man in this name. And when they had summoned them, they commanded them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answered and said to them, Whether it is right in the sight of God to give heed to you, rather than to God, you be the judge. For we cannot stop speaking what we have seen and heard. And when they had threatened them further, they let them go, finding no basis upon which they might punish them on account of the people. Now see... Here's Peter not afraid, here's the Pharisees very afraid. They were all glorifying God for what had happened, for the man was more than 40 years old on whom this miracle of healing had been performed. And when they were released, they went to their own companions and reported all that the chief priests and the elders said to them. When they heard this, they lifted up their voices to God with one accord and said, O Lord, it is Thou... Now, I want you to say to the praise of these people, because I tell you something, somebody goes out and gives a proper testimony... Sometimes there stirs up a bunch of old devils that are residing in some lost pieces of humanity that are backslidden or messed up. I'm not talking about sinners on the street. The people out there, they didn't know God. Some of them didn't. They're all glorifying God. See, sometimes you'll even find a sinner glorifying God if you see something remarkable like that. matter of fact, there have been sinners that have been known to say, let's give free cheers for God. Hip, hip, hooray for God. See, like you say, well, what kind of a thing is that? They're glorifying God the best they understand. Later on, they get converted and they know what to do, how to use hallelujah and so forth. In the meantime, somebody's healed. This is wonderful. Hip, hip, hooray! See, that's all they know to do. He was talking about those old backstead and Pharisees, their pompous mentalities, and we are the holy people of this land and we know, and so forth and so on. And when they go back, their people didn't say to them, well, you shouldn't get those Pharisees stirred up now. Now, that's not right. You know, a nice Christian always says good things and sweet things. And if you're getting people stirred up, that is not of God, brother. See, well, I want to tell you, they didn't say that. They went back and lifted up their voices to God. What according said, O Lord, is thou who didst make the heaven and the earth, the sea, and all that is in them. "...who by the Holy Spirit through the mouth of thy father David thy servant did say, why did the Gentiles rage?" They're taking on quite a prayer here. "...and the peoples devised futile things. The kings of the earth took their stand. The rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his Christ. For truly in this city they were gathered together against thy holy servant Jesus, whom thou didst anoint, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles and the people of Israel." They made a sweeping... They are all here, Lord, against you to do whatever thy hand and thy purpose predestined to occur. And now, Lord, take note of their threats and grant thy servants safety. Right? No. Grant thy servants that they may speak thy word with all boldness, King James says, confidence, revised version. And while thou dost extend thy hand to heal, and signs and wonders take place through the name of thy holy servant Jesus." And when they had prayed, the place where they were gathered together was shaken. That's power. The place where they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak the Word of God with boldness. There is the power of the Holy Spirit operating in their lives. See, when the church begins to pull in its witness, when the church begins to pull in that dynamic of sending people out, when the church begins to stop raising up leaders, When the church stops uncorking the bottle, when the church stops preaching the vision, when the church stops having that purpose clearly in mind, and they begin to settle for other things, lesser things, smaller things, the witness begins to pull in. The dynamic of going out begins to pull in. It is always an evidence that the power is draining from the church. People's minds are on things other than, Lord, keep me filled with power that Your Word may be carried out, that Your dreams may be fulfilled, that the purpose for which You created me may be done, O Lord, that my family may know about You. See, what that's what's missing is the power of the Holy Spirit, not the sweetness of the Holy Spirit, not the goodness of God, not the touch of God, but the power. Jesus said, yes, I want you to be sweet, kind, noble, good, righteous. Understand Scripture... But listen, there's one thing I want you to have more than anything else. I want you to be endued with power from on high. Because without that power, all of that sweetness will go very little of a distance. All of that knowledge will do very little. All of that organizational skill will accomplish very small things. It is by my spirit, saith God, not by might and not by power, but by my spirit, saith God. We want that enduement of power from on high. Amen. Amen? Hallelujah. Now, I will continue for a couple of more scriptures here. Acts 4:23 to 31. All right, now look at verse 32 as a result of this. Again, I speak the Word of God with boldness. Verse 32, And the congregation of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and not one of them claimed that anything belonging to him was his own. There was none of that selfish scrabbling. But all things were common property to them. And with great, what's the word again? Power. The apostles were giving witness to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and abundant grace was upon them all. Acts six eight. Now here's an ordinary man. Is he ordinary? Yes, he's ordinary. But he's not ordinary. That makes any sense at all. Now we we'll start at verse one. At this time, while the disciples were increasing in number, a complaint rose on a part of the Hellenistic Jews against the native Hebrews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily serving of food. "...and the twelve some of the congregation of the disciples and said, It is not desirable for us to neglect the Word of God in order to serve tables, but select from among you, brethren, seven men of good reputation, full of the Spirit." First thing, good reputation, of course, clean life, full of the Spirit, "...and of wisdom that we may put in charge of this task. We will devote ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the Word." The statement of found approval of the whole congregation. And they chose Stephen, a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit. And Philip, Prochorus, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenas, Nicholas, a proselyte from Antioch. And these, as they brought before the apostles after praying, they laid their hands upon them. And the word of God kept on spreading. And the number of disciples continued to increase greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests were becoming obedient to the faith. And Stephen, full of grace and power was performing great signs and wonders among the people, and so forth and so on. See, what gave him that dynamic? It again was the Holy Spirit. It's never attributed to his knowledge, his mind, his thoughts, his goodness. There's nothing there except one thing. It was the Holy Spirit working in him that produced these tremendous results. Acts 10.38 Our Lord Jesus Christ Himself, what it says about Him. You know of Jesus of Nazareth, how God anointed Him with the Holy Spirit and with power. Jesus Jesus? This is the Son of God. This is the Son of God. This is He who was ever with the Father. This is He who is God. Verily, verily, God. He comes down to this earth, takes upon Himself not the nature of angels, but a man comes forth, and how does He do what He is doing? He does it only because of one thing. He is anointed with the Holy Spirit and with... That's right. Jesus. Jesus had to be anointed with that power. Mary anointed with that power. Peter anointed with that power. Paul anointed with that power. Men and women of the early church anointed with that power. Then do you think that we will do the work that God has called us upon in this day and time? With those mighty forces, nuclear nations, whole Parts of the world cut off and under the curse of the Iron Curtain and the Bamboo Curtain, other types of nationalism says no church will come in here. No name of Christ will be made here. You will not preach the gospel here. And God says, go into all the world and preach the gospel. Every preach. they're mounting up their power. We will kill you. We have the force to stop you. We will put you in jail. We will destroy you. Oh, my brothers and sisters, it will never be done without P-O-W-E-R. Say power greater than all the power of the enemy. Jesus said, yes, but I give that to you, and you shall tread on lions and young lions and trample under feet, and nothing shall by any means hurt you because you have this power. But you need to pray for that power. Pray for those who are not filled with the Holy Spirit, that tonight they will be endued with power from on high. And if any of you are lacking in power, lacking in power in your life, you see the devil is able to knock you around, shove you around, the devil is able to depress you, break your resolve on God, then I tell you something, you've allowed that power to depart from you and you need to do just what that early church prayed, that that power will return to your life. Pray that that dynamic will be back there again that you need to have in your life. I believe the message I have tonight, you will have no trouble being opened up to that dynamic and that power. Let's bow our heads in a word of prayer, shall we? Now, if there's anyone a word here from the prophetic, as soon as I pray here, I'm going to turn the pulpit over to whatever may be here to speak a word. Heavenly Father, in the name of Jesus, what we're asking for is the power of the Holy Spirit. The power to exalt Christ in a way we have not known. The power to make Him clear and known to this city and to the state and our nation and the world that we have not known. A power, Lord, That will exalt him to such an extent that you shall be glorified in that, Lord. A power, Lord, to send out teams. A power, Lord, to send people to foreign cities and foreign nations where they are required by law to not go. And yet, Lord, you will give them power to go there. And power, if need be, to even overturn those governments, Lord, in order that your gospel may be established in those places. Power to enlighten the Christians of those places. Power to fill this world with your works, Lord. As the Scripture was quoted earlier, works that I do shall ye do also, and greater than these shall ye do, because I go to my Father. Oh, Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that this shall be a church which cries out for that power, the power of the Holy Spirit, that we may truly exalt you and glorify you. Grant this to us, Father. We pray in Jesus' name. Everyone said, Amen. Amen. What I'm going to speak about today is being led by the Spirit of God, and I think there's probably no more important subject that can exist for God's people than this message of being led by the Spirit of God. There are equally important messages, but no more important message. And yet many of God's people, I watch by the lives that they live and the things that they do, and I know that they are not led by the Spirit of God. They're led by their own impulses. The Bible speaks about various impulses. They're led about by these impulses. And sometimes they are from a, like, what seems like on the surface an okay a perspective and things. And I'll get to that, how we can have a perfectly good intent and be totally wrong as far as the Spirit of God is concerned. Now, wherever I go as a Christian, I will do a good work. See, if I get out of the will of God and go to, let's say, uh, Dallas, Texas or uh, Tennessee somewhere, Kentucky or Europe or wherever, I would land, I would do just what I've always known to do in the Lord. I would start witnessing to people. You can be sure that that's what would take place. I'd witness to my neighbors, people on the job, and somebody would say sooner or later, what is this thing you're speaking? Who is this Jesus you're talking about? And sooner or later, somebody would get one to the Lord. And then another and another. And the next thing, we'd start having Bible studies. Then a church would grow out of that. But for me, I know there's only one place on the face of the earth I ought to be, and that's where God wants me to be at that time in my life. See, it's not like I can be any place I want to be equally, and just wherever I feel like being, well, I think I'll go here, and I'll now I'll go here, and then I'll do... No, I want to be led by the Spirit of God. Now, this time, I can tell you, 1984, September 1st or 2nd, whatever it is, I know by the Spirit of God I'm supposed to be in Eureka, California. I'm not supposed to be anyplace else. I'm not supposed to be preaching the gospel in Africa or India or Guatemala. Or there was a time a couple of years ago when I felt like, yes, that's right, I should go to Guatemala. We were praying about Africa. The more we prayed, it just didn't feel we should go at that time. We canceled it. Again, it came up. We canceled it. Now, sometime in the future, it will be the right time to go. But right now, it is not the right time to go. I have heard the Spirit of God telling me, I want you here for this time. So we cut off everything else, and we are concentrating on equipping the saints right here in Eureka, California. Now, the reason I do those things is not because it seems good to me logically. The brethren have sat down with me and reasoned with me logically, which they should do. That's their duty. The brethren have sat down with me and reasoned with me from the Word of God. That's their duty. They should do that. Make sure that I am hearing all sides of a case and not making any judgment irrationally. But the important thing is, above everything else, is what is the Holy Spirit saying at that time? Because some things are right, this is right, this is right, this is right, in the sense of good. But of those many good things, only one thing is right at any one particular time. Now that's up to the work then of us hearing The Holy Spirit, checking it by counsel, listening to the brethren. I'll talk to you about that, not about the counsel, not about the brethren, except I want to add that in there right now, but learning to hear the Spirit of God. And without you being able to hear the Spirit of God, many times you will do good things, but they will not turn out to be right things. And it's very important to know the difference. Now, first example in the Bible that I want to give you today of the leading of the Spirit. Would you turn with me, please, to the book of Acts, and we're going to look here now at the eighth chapter. Now you have to remember where these people were in their thinking. Philip now has gone down the city of Samaria, preached the gospel to these people. They have received the Lord, and now we're down to verse twenty five. And so when they had solemnly testified and spoken the word of the Lord, they started back to Jerusalem, were preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. But an angel of the Lord spoke to Philip, saying, Arise, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Now, notice what happened. Here's Philip. He's preached a great revival. Many, probably several thousand have been saved. Maybe many more. I don't know how large Samaria was at that time. Now, his work is over. He's not able at that point to bring to them the baptism of the Holy Spirit. He calls for the elders at Jerusalem. They send the apostles down. They lay hands on him, And then the Spirit of the Lord says to Now, let's take a look at the problem that Philip faced here. Tell me, could he have gone to uh, Galatia? Was there a need over in Galatia for souls to be saved? Absolutely. Was there a need in Asia for souls to be saved? Absolutely. Was there a need even back in Jerusalem for more souls to be saved? Absolutely, they were not all saved. Was there a need in... Well, yes, if you're looking at just the basis of need, there is... Well, here's a good place to go, then here's a good place to go, here's a good place, here's a good place, here's a good place. place. Thousands of people here, thousands here, or we could say today millions here, millions here, millions here, billions. See, all our good places, all our needy souls, but of all the places on the face of the earth, there was only one place Philip should have been at that time. That's where the Spirit spoke to him and told him to go. Arise, go south. Now notice this, arise, go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. Not arise, go south. Very specific instruction. Go south to the road that descends from Jerusalem to Gaza. This is a desert road. Now he had learned to hear the Spirit of God. Now many people have come to me and said, the Lord told me to go to, and I'm listening for their spirit, and I don't hear the spirit. I hear weird stuff. Or showed me to go to, I say, the Lord told you that? Yes, the Lord showed me. And it's almost like a, Mm-mm-mm-mm-mm. there's something, Mm-mm-mm. it's not right. It doesn't fit. It isn't in the spirit. I've become very sensitive about that. Sometimes you can just hear a person's spirit. They didn't hear from the spirit of God at all. Or from some other spirit. They've got a different spirit that's coming at you in this, trying to explain this particular situation they're going through. But Philip here did hear from the Spirit. And he arose and went, and behold, there was an Ethiopian eunuch coming along on this road, court official of Candace, queen of the Ethiopians, who was in charge of all her treasure, and he had come to Jerusalem to worship. And he was returning and sitting in his chariot and was reading the prophet Isaiah. Now here's Philip standing there. Now tell me, is it right to go up and witness to him? Well, I can tell you at that time, Philip wasn't sure. Here's a great ruler. Here's a man of power. Here's this armed guard around him. Here's this, well, here's this ordinary guy dressed in ordinary clothes and he's running up to this chariot. What do you think would be likely to happen to him? Well, I'll tell you, at least he would have been stopped very suddenly by anyone coming close to that chariot. He was a man of great power and majesty and so forth and so on. But the Spirit of God again. Now notice the obedience that's involved, and the Spirit said to Philip, "Go up and join this chariot." And when Philip had run up, he heard him reading Isaiah the prophet, and said, "Do you understand what you're reading?" And he said, "Well, how could I unless someone guides me?" And he invited Philip to come up and sit with him. Now the message of the scripture, what he was reading, of course, the Spirit of God had even brought him to exactly the right place. The the Ethiopian eunuch exactly right place in the Bible. He was led as a sheep to the slaughter as a lamb before its shear is silent. He does not open his mouth in humiliation. His judgment is taken away. Who shall relate his generation? His life is removed from the earth. And the eunuch answered Philip and said, "Please tell me, of whom does the prophet say this of himself or of someone else?" Now notice the conditions that were met here. Number one, Philip starts walking, walking or riding, whatever it was but he arrived just as this Ethiopian eunuch is moving by his chariot and the two of them arrive at exactly the right crossing point in time not only that the eunuch has stopped i assume it's not be very difficult to read as he's jostling along his chariot he stopped he's in his chariot reading and where is he reading where the holy spirit has led him to read then a Spirit says, go join yourself. He knew the heart, the response of this Ethiopian eunuch. Go join yourself to him. Philip runs up to him. Come into my chariot. Who is this speaking of himself or another person? And then, of course, what greater opportunity could you ask for than that? Hallelujah. This said, Lord, anoint me. The eunuch answered, "Phil, please tell me. And Philip opened his mouth, and beginning from this scripture, he preached Jesus to him. And as they went along the road, they come to some water, and the eunuch said, Look, water, what prevents me from being baptized? And Philip said, If you believe with all your heart, you may. And he answered and said, I believe Jesus Christ is the Son of God. And he ordered that chariot to stop. They both went down the water, Philip, as well as the eunuch, and baptized him. And when they came up out of the water, the Spirit of the Lord snatched Philip away, and the eunuch saw him no more, but he went on his way rejoicing. But Philip found himself at Azotus. Now listen, if you get caught up by the Spirit of the Lord and you're dropped down someplace, consider that's the leading of the Lord, that you should be there at that time. You don't have to pray about that one. As he passed through, he kept preaching the gospel to all cities until he came to Caesarea. Now, do you see how the Spirit of God is continually leading step by step so that the gospel will? Now, that Ethiopian eunuch went back, and out of it came the conversion of all Ethiopia. That's historical fact. See, one man touched who touched the whole nation. You know why? Because one man also was sensitive to the leading of the Holy Spirit. Yes, he could have gone to Galatia. Yes, he could have gone to Corinth. Yes, he could have gone to, he could have gone any place. But there was only one place on the face of the whole earth that Philip should have gone to at that time. And that was down south toward that desert road where he met that Ethiopian eunuch that was led by the Spirit of God to open the Word of God to that exact place in the Bible, waiting for someone to show him what was there. And here's Philip standing there, coming to my chariot, what does this mean, himself or another? This is speaking about Jesus Christ. And out of it came the conversion of a nation. Now, if you want to be used of God powerfully, the secret is to be led by the Spirit of God. It is not to be led by your own mind, your own perceptions of right or wrong or good or bad, but to be led by the Holy Spirit. See, because many things are good, only one thing is best. Many things are right, only one thing is really right for that moment in time. Now, let's take another example. Turn with me, please, to the 10th chapter of the book of Acts. By the way, these examples are here is to give us understanding of how that early church operated. They did not operate out of just an intellectual form. The intellect was used. The Testing of the spirits was used. We'll talk about that later. But there's a very clear place where the Spirit of God guided men and women in a very direct way. Chapter 10, verse 1. Now, there was a certain man at Caesarea named Cornelius, a centurion of what was called the Italian cohort. Again, a man of great uh, influence. A devout man, one who feared God with all his household and gave many alms to the Jewish people and prayed to God continually. But he was not a Christian. He was not converted. He was not saved. He needed to find the Lord Jesus Christ, though he was a good man. About the ninth hour of the day, he clearly saw in a vision an angel of God who had come into him and said to him, Cornelius, and fixing his gaze upon him and being much alarmed, he said, What is it, Lord? What is it, Master, or greater than I? That type of word, Lord. And he said to him, Your prayers and alms have ascended as a memorial before God. And now dispatch some men to Joppa and send for a man named Simon, who is also called Peter. Now, once again, instructs him directly what to do. Here's the man's name. Cornelius didn't know anything about Peter. And he certainly didn't know where he was staying. Wasn't keeping a running check on him. Find out where he is. I wonder if the Lord will give me a message and then I'll go get Peter. No. He didn't know anything about it. Here's what you do. There's a man over there by the name of Simon Peter. He's staying with this Simon the Tanner and He's there. Now you send down for this man. And when the angel who was speaking to him had departed, he summoned two of his servants and a devout soldier of those who were in constant attendance upon him. And after he had explained everything to them, he sent them to Joppa, different city. And on the next day, as they were on their way and approaching the city, Peter went up to the housetop about the sixth hour to pray. And he became hungry, was desiring to eat. But while they were making preparation, he fell into a trance. Now, here's the Holy Spirit working on one end, sends an angel to this man, gives him very specific instructions what to do. Here's the city. Here's the person you're looking for. Here's He's staying by the house of one Simon the Tanner who lives by the sea. Go down and find him. So these soldiers take off, start making inquiry, and they're on their way toward that house. At the same time, the Holy Spirit starts dealing with Peter and he had beheld the sky open up a certain object, a great sheep coming down, lowered by four corners to the ground. There were all kinds of four-footed animals and crawling creatures of the earth and birds of the air. And a voice came to him, Arise, Peter, kill and eat. Peter said, By no means, Lord, for I have never eaten anything unholy or unclean. And again a voice came to him the second time, What God has cleansed no longer consider unholy. Now we can understand Peter's reluctance. He'd been taught all his life, He don't eat pork. You don't eat snakes, you don't eat eels, you don't eat uh, things without fins and uh, so forth and so on. Now the Spirit of the Lord is teaching him a different thing. The ceremonial law is over, but more importantly, he's going to teach him that the way that the Gentiles is open, they're no longer dogs with the Jews of that day, we consider the Gentiles, their dogs. As a matter of fact, the Samaritans, they call them Samaritan dogs is what they were. All right. And this happened three times and immediately the object was taken up in the sky. Now, while Peter was greatly perplexed in mind as to what this vision which he had seen might be, behold the men who had been sent by Cornelius, and here's the Spirit of God leading them by now, not like direct leading, but inquiry, they're coming along, having asked directions for Simon's house, appeared at the gate. And calling out, they were asking whether Simon, who was also called Peter, was staying there. And while Peter was reflecting on the vision, the Spirit said to him, behold, three men are looking for you. Now, not some men or somewhere you're going to have three men are looking for you. Very clear directions and guidance here. But arise, go downstairs, and accompany them without misgiving, for I have sent them myself. Spirit of God saying, Peter, I sent these men, there's three men, you go down there, and when you get there, I send them myself. Peter went down to the men and said, Behold, I am the one you're looking for. What is the reason for which you have come? They explained about their master, Cornelius Verse 23, next day they arose. Verse 24, the following day he entered Caesarea. Now Cornelius was waiting for them, and they called together his relatives and close friends. And when it came about, Peter entered. Cornelius met him, fell at his feet, and worshipped him. But Peter raised him up, saying, Stand up, I too am just a man. Thank the Lord he didn't let his ministry be a little exalted there. Hey, stop that. Man, I'm just a man. The Spirit of God in me is one thing, but you're talking about this hunk of clay in whom God operates. And as he talked with them, he entered and found many people assembled, and then he begins to preach. Verse 28, and he said to them, you yourselves know how unlawful it is for a man who is a Jew to associate with a foreigner or to visit him, yet God has shown me that I should not call any man unholy or unclean. That is why I came without even raising any objection when I was sent for. So I asked what reason you have sent for me. And Cornelius said, four days ago at this hour, I was praying in my house during the ninth hour. And behold, a man stood before me in shining garments. And he said, Cornelius, your prayer has been heard. Your arms have been remembered before God. Therefore, send a jop and invite Simon, who is also called Peter, to come to you. For you are staying at the house of Simon the Tanner by the sea. So I sent for you immediately. You have been kind enough to come. Now then, we are all here present before God to hear all that you have been commanded by the Lord. See? Here's this whole working of the Holy Spirit bringing these people together one moment in time. One right moment in time. Now I can tell you Peter could have been any one of a thousand other places just as needy as Cornelius. But there was one right person on the earth that Peter could get to at that time. One right band of people, Gentiles, who were ready at that moment. And God leads Peter to that man and he preaches the gospel and the Holy Spirit falls on him. And then later on he explains it to the church and the church who were just as blind as Peter was because that revelation hadn't come yet. They were quieted, the Bible says, after they contended with him. Why did you go into a Gentile and preach the word and so forth? They were quieted and said, so then God has given life to the Gentiles also. Well, aren't you thankful to God that he did and that Peter obeyed the leading of the Spirit of God. Or we might still have the Jewish Christian religion very vitally practiced in the world. There's a very vital Jewish Christianity going on. But I'll tell you the Gentiles would not have been the fig tree that God grafted in. You are there because one man heard the Spirit of God and had courage enough to follow through that leading and do what he had to do. Now let's turn over here to 16th chapter of the book of Acts. Very similar type thing again. Maybe more to the point as far as the unique brand of Gentiles that are here today. Now speaking about Paul, he also came to Derby and to Lystra to behold a certain disciples there in Timotheus, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer and her father was a Greek, well spoken of by the brethren who were in Lystra and Iconium. Paul wanted this man to go with him, took him, circumcised him because the Jews were in those parts, for they all knew his father was a Greek. Now, they are passing through the cities which were delivering the decrees which had been decided upon by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem for them to observe. So the churches were being strengthened in the faith and were continually increasing in number. And they passed through the Phrygian and the Galatian region, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak in Asia. Now, understand what they had in mind. At some point, they had looked over the population of the world that they knew about, he said, look at that population over there in Asia. I believe there's a need there that won't quit. I believe we can go over there and preach the gospel. I believe we can go over there and establish churches. I believe we can. That's right on, except for one thing. Again, open to the leading of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit forbade them and said, stop. No, do not go to preach there. Now, later on we see the gospel has gone to the ends of the earth and Christ intended that it should. But only the Holy Spirit knew the stream of the hearts that were ready to hear it at that point. See, what he was doing is establishing the church in the Gentile world where it would be ready for it, and from there it would go out to the ends of the earth. But if he had gone the wrong way and they had not been ready for it, Paul would have wasted his life, exhausted himself, not produced the results he should have produced, and that would have been the end of Paul. He might have had a little ministry, a few churches established. That's as far as it would have gone. Instead, the result is tremendous revival spread through Europe. Thousands upon thousands were saved and from their great missionary endeavors have gone out throughout the length and breadth of the earth. They were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mysia and were trying to go to Bithynia, the Spirit of Jesus did not permit them. Now here's two things. Well, if it isn't their law, you say no. But notice the Spirit of God didn't say, now go over here. No, he stops. He simply says, and sometimes God will do that, don't go here. Oh, okay. Well, then what? Well, then it's up to you to look around again. Start praying. Where, Lord, do you want me to be? What should I be doing? Well, that place looks good. Well, maybe that's the Lord. Let's test that. Let's start here. Stop. All right, Lord? Let's look again. What do you want? Then he goes to sleep. Then a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A certain man of Macedonia was standing and appealing to him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. And when he had seen the vision, immediately we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to put preach the gospel to them. And from there came the great European outreach. Now, all of that early church was directed by the Holy Spirit of God guiding men and guiding women in a direct line to carry out what God had wanted them to do. Now, I think it's important to understand that God is not only interested in this matter called the church, in other words, the direct church things, but the Spirit of God is interested in carrying out, leading you in every aspect of your life, so that in your home life, that is, husbands with wives and wives with husbands and parents with children and children with parents. He is interested in leading you what to do, how to work with your children, how to work with your wife, how to work with your husband. He's interested in leading you how to work with the brethren in the church. I remember years ago, I was talking to a certain brother and his wife. They were counseling with me. And this brother was holding forth a very strong, courageous face and saying, I feel this and this, and man, the Lord is working with me here and this. And I'm hearing all of these Tremendous things he's saying. And I said, stop a minute, please. I said, if what you are saying to me today is what you really believe, why is it I hear your spirit crying? And he just, oh, and his wife, like, oh. he broke through to what it was. Now, how did I know that? I don't know how I know it. Well, I do know how I know it. I don't know the method by which I know it. But simply to say, the Spirit of God gave me insight that all of these words I was hearing were no words at all. Now, many times an elder, myself, I've been there, dumb, stupid, like an animal, can't get the first base sometimes. Then I go say, Lord, give me some insight in the Spirit to know how to deal with this person. I'm not able to deal with them on a rational basis. They come, yes, this, oh, yes, this, yes, this, yes, this, this, this. here's this answer, here's answer number 34, yes, here's the problem, here's that. That is not the answer that people need. They need to be led by the Counselor. It needs to be led by the Holy Spirit. We need to hear where that person is. A husband needs to hear his wife in the Spirit. A wife needs to hear her husband in the Spirit. We need to hear our children crying out to us, Mom, Dad. I'm. I tell you, I'm. That's why way it is here. That's why you used my children. Oh, I, tell you, you do, I tell you, do you do what I tell you to do because I say it's right. That's why. They, are, oh yeah, they, and then they grow up like, oh, Dad, I'll show you I'm going to be a better man than you, and I'll, they, where does that come from? Out of the inability of parents to hear in the spirit. Wives don't hear husbands, the husband saying, I have something I want to do with my life, and something I, oh, I want you to get me a three bedroom home, two bath home, and I want you to get a job and get a pension, and I want you to get a, that's all they've got in their mind, that one little picture. Then the husband, he's got something to want to do. I want to explore the Alps, and I want to go to the Andes, and I want to visit this. And, and she's saying, well, honey, I, I want you to love me and care for me. I want to make you a million dollars, a billion dollars. And then the husband goes after it, and he does all these things, and he's honored, and 16 medals and all of these things, billions of dollars, and he brings it back. And the wife is all falling apart. And he said, what's the matter with you? I did it all for you. I said, I didn't want any of it. I just want you to love me, to care for me. I wouldn't care if we live in a shack or a palace, all good for me. Just love me. I don't hear you. I want to accomplish it. See, we need to hear by the Spirit of God. What is the need? What is the cry? What is the desire? What is the... And somehow accommodate ourselves in God to the needs of each other. Same thing in the church. We need to help one another. But by the leading of the Spirit of God, we need to be led by that Spirit. Without that... I doubt if we'll ever do much as a church. Now, we've done wonderful things in the church because we've been led to the Spirit. But if we ever get away from that, we'll never know anything or be able to do anything. Your business, God ought to lead you in business. See, if you're in business for the right reasons, I talked to Mike Becker the other day. He was saying, cattle business, he can believe that's a godly business easier than any other business. Well, that's right. The Bible says, God owns the gold and silver and the cattle on a thousand hills. But I say, you got to remember one thing about that, too. God says he owns the cattle on a thousand hills. See, sometimes when we're in business, we think, this is my business and my house and my wife and my children and my church and my... Not at all. Who owns the gold in a thousand hills? Say it. God. Who owns the cattle on a thousand hills? God. Who owns me? God. Who owns you? God. See, if we can think of that, God owns these things. I don't have a right to make up my own mind. Glorify God in your body and spirit, which are God's. You're not your own. Glorify God. See, so if my aim then is to glorify Him, we'll get to this in a minute, how to hear the Spirit of God, then everything you do in life has a godly or a spiritual purpose if you've been led by God to do that. Now, I believe what I'm doing here with this new life to demonstrate something to the church, very important thing that has to be demonstrated. Now, the other day, we were planning to go to Reading. Check out something over there. The brother said that'd be the place to check it out. So I was getting ready to go to Reading. And there was a, a paint booth and a, with drying lights on it. They said that would be necessary to speed up the work and make a much better operation out of it. And I said, okay, let's check it out. That might be what we need. I don't know, but we'll check it out and see. See what the Spirit of God says. So I'm saying, like always, Lord, show you how to be led of the Spirit. Guide me. I only want to do what you want. I want to be where you want. I want to do the things you want. I want to say what you want. I want to hear what you want. I want to say, I go to bed Wednesday night. Thursday is the day we're supposed to go. I wake up in the maybe, oh, about 4 o'clock. They were coming at a quarter to 5, pick us up. And I wake up at 4 o'clock or thereabouts, and I'm laying there, and suddenly I don't want to go to Redding. It wasn't like something, don't go to Redding. It wasn't repulsive. It was just like, don't go to Redding. Well, where then? Go to San Francisco, I thought. And it turned out that wasn't clear. But it was clear. I'll show you in a minute. See, I don't always get things clear. Sometimes I get it exact, sometimes not so exact. But good enough that if I'm walking in the Lord, inquiring as I go, I find out what I'm supposed to find out. So when the fellows arrive, then a quarter to five, I say, uh, I'm going to test this out now a little bit. See, if they put up a big fuss, then I'll go pray about it a little more. Say, let's wait a while or whatever. But I say, uh, fellows, this may sound strange to you, but uh, I just had a thought Would there be any big problem with us going to San Francisco instead of Reading? No, just a couple more hours driving both ways, four hours. That's not bad. We can handle that. So I say, oh, okay, praise God. No resistance. I think we'll go that way. And we went down toward San Francisco, got to Santa Rosa, stopped at a place for a cup of coffee. Now, we needed to check out, and it was going to take me several trips to do this or several people I'd have to send on a trip. There were five things I had to check out all very expensive pieces of equipment pieces that you normally people would not have but i was very interested in those pieces of equipment we went south to santa rosa opened up the phone book in santa rosa in one place we simply were able to move around that one city all five of those pieces of equipment were there furthermore when we called the owners they all opened up completely brought us into their offices told us what to do to opened up a whole new set of suppliers that we've reduced our costs already by half. He showed us how to reduce it by another 50%, so we're only paying less than a quarter of what we originally started out to pay. One of these machines we're very interested is the one we decided on. We got a call the next day. A man said he had one of those that had been repossessed. Instead of $40,000, it was only 22000 and we could try it out for three months signing no papers at all, see if we like it or not. He'd like to bring it up here. See, the whole is leading of the Spirit it's the Holy Spirit who guides us along. Now, why am I a success in business? I'll tell you why. You might say, well, Jim knows business. I do know business. But that's not why I'm a success in business. I'm a success in business because I am open to the leading of the Spirit, and he guides me by his hand continually. That's why I'm at the right place at the right time. The right things happen for me because I'm guided by the Spirit. And I want to say, if you want to be a success in anything in life, you learn to be led by the Holy Spirit. That's the secret of success. Now I'm going to show you how to be led by the Spirit. Here is the predisposition of heart so we will be led of the Holy Spirit. Now, 1 Corinthians, turn with me please to the 2nd chapter, verses 11 through 16. 1 Corinthians 2nd chapter, 11 through 16. For who among men knows the thoughts of a man except the spirit of the man which is in him? Even so the thoughts of God no one knows except the spirit of God. Now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might know the things freely given to us by God. Which things also we speak, not in words taught by human wisdom, but those taught by the spirit combining spiritual thoughts with spiritual words. But a natural man does not accept the things of the Spirit. What I've just said here, if there's a naturally minded man here, carnally minded, they'll say, oh, that's baloney, man. you just got to think your way. You've got to work your way. You've got to shrewd your way. You've got to outsmart people. You have to. I want to tell you, that's a good way to fall flat on your face in the things of the Spirit of God. Smart guys don't end up well in the things of God. Dumb guys end up a whole lot better. The best thing is to be fairly intelligent so you know how to tie your shoelaces, come in out of the rain, at least that much intelligence. But the main thing is, brain's enough to know how to hear the Spirit of God and the courage to act upon that counsel that God gives you. Now that may come out of the Word of God. It may come from the counsel of the elders. It may come from brethren. It may come from your wife or your husband. It may come from your children. It may come from a two-day-old babe. But to know how to hear the voice of the Spirit when he speaks it may come directly also. Alright, they are foolishness to him, he cannot understand them, because they are spiritually appraised. But he who is spiritual appraises all things, yet he himself is appraised by no man. For who has known the mind of the Lord that he should instruct him? But we have the mind of Christ. Now what I've written here, he is the only source of the knowledge of God, he alone knows the thoughts of God. Therefore you have to place yourself in a hard attitude toward the Spirit, and say, Spirit of God, I don't know anything. I don't know the mind of God. I don't know the voice of God. I don't know anything. And unless you teach me how to hear your voice, unless you teach me how to hear God's voice, unless you teach my mind how to know God's thoughts, I don't know anything. See, now that's completely different from the person, I guess I know how to get along in this world. Man, I've thought my way, and I know how to do things, and I know how to get them done, and I know how to You'll get undone for a certain place, but in this complex world, you'll run into something that will blow you out of the water every time until you learn that what you think you know, you don't know. You think you're smart enough to raise your children? God forbid that you should think a thought like that. You are not smart enough to raise your children. You think you're smart enough to get along with your husband and wife in this world with all the complex temptations and problems that come along? You are not. You think you're smart enough to run a business in this world? You may get along with it for a while, but I'll tell you sooner or later, if you're not careful, you'll go down the tubes because it's only the Spirit of God who can guide you and show you what to do. You think you're smart enough to build a church? You are not. You think you're smart enough to preach a sermon? You are not. Only God knows what should be preached. Only God knows how to build a church. Only God knows how to really run a business. Only God knows how to build a home. Only God knows how to raise that child so he'll be what he should have been or she'll be what she should have been. See, that's what we have, and that has to be our attitude. Spirit of the Lord, I don't know anything. You know everything. Teach me. Then I will know. But until you teach me, I don't know anything. All you can do is say, Spirit of the living God, show me what I should do here. That's why I tell preachers, you don't know anything more about running a church when you've been saved 20 years and preaching 20 years than a novice knows. Hopefully, you do know better how to hear the Spirit, but you don't know how to run the church. You only know how to hear the Spirit. Lord, what shall I preach? What shall I do? What shall I say? Where shall I go? Where shall I be? That's the key. Now the next point. Do not grieve Him. Ephesians 4, 22 to 32. I want to read that to you. If you're in the habit of grieving the Holy Spirit, in other words, doing just exactly what you want to do, you'll find yourself in extremely serious trouble. You'll get to a place where you can't hear the Spirit of God at all. That in reference to your former manner of life... You will lay aside the old self. I want, I demand, I need, you must give me. You will better do it or else I'll show you. None of that stuff. i tell you something, the Spirit of God will not be heard in a loud clamoring noise like that. You will lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lusts of deceit. And you will be renewed in the spirit of your mind. And you put on the new self which is in the likeness that has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood... Speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. Be angry, and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Don't go to bed angry. I tell you something, I've done that. Thank God for his Holy Spirit. Keep me awake. I can't sleep anymore. Keep me awake till I apologize to my wife. What I said was wrong. What I did was wrong. Please forgive me. Until that's cleared up, I can't sleep. Don't let the sun go down on your wrath. What it means, don't let a day pass. See, I may get angry in the middle of the night. Then it's not a question I can be angry until the next night. What God's saying is, get that thing cleared up. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer. But rather, let him labor, performing with his own hands. Don't be free-lunching off other people's. what it's saying. Labor with his own hands what is good in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth. Don't tell dirty jokes, don't curse, don't swear, don't make lustful statements, don't lewd looks. Don't do that. But only such a word as is good for edification according to the need of the moment that may give grace to those who hear and do not grieve the Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you, along with all malice, and be kind one to another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ has also forgiven you. See, that's a predisposition of the heart, so you can hear the Spirit of God. If I'm not kind, I don't hear the Spirit of God. See, I come out, my wife says something to me, and I say, Listen, woman, get off my back, I've had it with you. Well, I want to tell you something. Now, I say, Spirit of God, speak to me. He won't speak to me. He'll give me a kick in the seat. See? Well, that's speaking, I suppose, if you want to put it that way. Hey, what's that? Go back and apologize to your wife. He led me how to make love to my wife in the right way. Never knew how to say I love you. Never said that, Durkin, don't say I love you. We're strong men. My wife knows I love her. I give her my paycheck. Isn't that enough? I married her, didn't I? See? <laughs> Stuff like that. So I want you go tell your wife you love her. Yeah, I did. Uh, I love you. <laughs> See, she never heard that. Then I come back and I try to do the movie star bit because I thought, God, I did it. No, you didn't. You go back and tell her you love her. Say, I love you. That didn't work. <laughs> say, finally, I break down and say, look, I don't know how to say it. I just have never been trained. I don't, it just doesn't come out right. I'm trying to tell you, I do love you. I just, I begin to break everything open in our lives. Say, Spirit of God led me to do that. Say, is he interested in that? Everything in your life, he'll guide you in. You don't know anything. I don't know anything. He teaches us how to know something, see? Spiritual thoughts, spiritual words. So don't grieve the Holy Spirit. Keep oriented toward the purpose and vision. I won't go into that. You understand that. But if your orientation is not toward purpose and vision, you've got some lesser idea or lesser goal or survival vision, you won't hear the Spirit of God except say, get your head screwed on straight. Won't hear it right, see? Well, I've got this ambition. I always want to be a millionaire. Never hear anything. The Bible says they who will be rich pierce themselves through with many sorrows. Okay. Speak the prayer continually that you want to be led of the Spirit. It's my prayer continually. Lord lead me. Lord guide me. Lord show me. Don't let me make a dumb move. Don't let me do a stupid thing. Don't let me say a stupid thing. Keep my tongue in a spiritual frame. It's the continual prayer of my life. Once in a while it gets out of hand. Then the spirit oh, you've done that. Why'd you say that? Why'd you do that? Oh, God, forgive me. I, I was talking with John Jordan the other day and something came up and I got a little bit of testing with him. He said, well, I didn't, I didn't. it wasn't angry, just, oh, and he said something to me and, oh, I see, nothing angry. He probably forgot it. Maybe he did, maybe he didn't, I don't know. But I tell you, I didn't forget it. God was dealing with me. I had to see him the next day. John, I need to ask your forgiveness. My tone of voice was all wrong. My attitude was all wrong. Please forgive me. Oh, Jim, I, for sure. I forgive you, brother. I didn't say a whole lot about it. I forgive you. But I'll tell you something. I wasn't at peace. My conscience. Never violate your conscience. The other day when we went on a trip Thursday, we went down there in Man's Cadillac. He drove us down there. Rick Cook has a Cadillac, manager of the body shop. Drove us down there and has a big two-door. And I'm used to four doors. I like four doors, but they have two doors. And I'm sitting there in this place, and I open it up, and the door gets away from me and smacks a yellow pinto sitting next to me. And I look at it, and what I see is a big scratch all the way through the paint down to the metal. I pull the door shut like clunk. See? But what's going on inside of me? I... $300 $300 Oh! so Rick comes over I say Rick come around here please yeah I did that I can't leave here till I make sure that's cleared up tell them what I did tell them I'll pay for it whatever the cost is he looks at it okay he goes over and gets the guy Guy stands up, yeah? Scratch on it, yeah? I see him talking over there. Guy said, he, back. he says, Jim, he'll take care of it himself. Oh. Now, tell me something. That could have cost me 300 bucks, right? Or whatever it would have been. I doubt it would have been 300, maybe 299, something like that. But <laughs> close, anyhow. I'm getting where I know what that costs. See, I think, uh, that cost $300. See? But it could have cost me something out there. So let's say I get away with it, because nobody saw it. Nobody saw it. Not even those who were riding with me in the car. They didn't see a thing. We leave there. I drive on up the road. (laughs) Ha, 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 ha. I got away. It didn't cost me $300. And here's the blank, like, Spirit of God, lead me. I'll tell you what you do Then you want me to lead you. Turn around this car and go back and clean up your back trail. Now, when the back trail's cleaned up, then I'll talk to you again. And I'll leave you with a sure hand. You know, I think it's such a wonderful thing when our conscience is kept. What Paul said I strive always to keep my conscience void of offense toward God and who else? Man. See? Now, keep your orientation. Make sure that you do not let your conscience become touched, become sensitive to his presence in church here. That's why it's so important to go to church. Have you ever noticed, I tried to teach the song leaders to do this, and mostly they're pretty sensitive to it, or some of them have learned it by themselves. They'll be along leading a song, and then there will, like at the end of a song, or sometimes in the middle of it, there'll be like a quietness settle on the congregation. Not a quietness like we aren't singing, but almost like a... Oh, God. And he'll say, is there someone here with a word from the Lord? You know, they've learned to become sensitive to that. It's the Spirit saying quiet children, I want to speak to you now, I'm going to up my prophets. And you say, speak. Now someone, here's a prophecy, almost never fails. Sometimes it doesn't, I think that somebody has been just afraid or not obedient to the Lord, but like you watch it. Now you should then in the service, when that feeling is there, say, what did I feel like then? Because I'll tell you something, in being led to the Spirit, you might be in bed or you might be walking down the street or you might be praying and there'll be that very same feeling, a sense of like, ah, and stay, Spirit of the living God, you're uniquely touching me now, my heart's open. What are you trying to tell me? And sometimes that'll be exactly where the Lord will lead you in some particular area. Now, sometimes he does it a whole different ways. You should be sensitive to his joyous presence, become sensitive to his presence and moving, Remember the sense either of awe or quietness or joy that you experience. Then test the spirits, whether they be of God. Get counsel if you possibly can. Pray about it. Make sure there's a peace in your heart about it. That it is not an unduly insistent, clamorous, leaving no room for prayer, not recognizing human frailty. Like the other morning, if I had gotten up and this is why I Go to San Francisco! You must go to San Francisco, you must not pray, you must go! And sometimes I had like, this is urgent the Spirit of God. He's a bunk. I don't hear that at all. That is a spirit that is not of God. But I want to tell you something. The Spirit insists, he says, Son, go. See, and it's like a quiet rain. It's like a like a wonderful force that just I feel good, Lord. All right, I'll test it with these brothers. He says, I didn't say, What? You test what I've spoken to you. This is God which has spoken you don't need. Never hear that. Sometimes I hear a prophet make this great mistake. It's a very serious mistake. They say, the word of the Lord to you is this. And the person says, well, fine, I hear you. I'm going to pray. What is there to pray about? I've given you God. Wrong spirit. Pay no attention to it, whatever. Wrong spirit. Even if the guy's speaking the right thing, wrong spirit. Pay no attention. God will send law a prophet with the right kind of a spirit or a word in the right way, or he'll speak to you directly. But if the person says, certainly, brother, pray about it, get some counsel too, but I believe it's a proper word from God. You go and get counsel, you pray about it, and say, thank God, that's a word of God. Listen, you'll always have time to get that counsel in prayer, act out that word of God, come back to the prophet and say, brother, you gave me the right word, thank you, brother, that really was guidance from the Lord that you helped me with. Always time to take care of those matters. If you won't counsel, I know I've heard God, I don't need to counsel. You've got the wrong spirit. You won't hear the brethren wrong spirit. Maintain your conscience in an unviolated condition. Your conscience may be wrong, but never violated. Often the guidance of the Holy Spirit comes to us this way. And then I'd like you to read as a last two scriptures. Turn with me, please, to Second Timothy, the first chapter. I think this is more important than when you have received something from God. Second Timothy, first chapter. Verses 12 through 14. For this reason I also suffer these things, but I am not ashamed, for I know whom I have believed, and I am convinced that he is able to guard what I have entrusted to him until that day. I have entrusted my soul to him, my spirit, my mind... Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me. Paul the Apostle speaking, I can say the same thing to you. I've taught you the truth from God's Word. Retain that standard. Don't go out there and say, oh, we heard another preachment over here, and this is different from Jim. I think we're for this one. Don't go for that. God put you here for a reason. That is to hear what you're hearing, not to hear something else. Retain the standard of sound words which you have heard from me in the faith and love which are in Christ Jesus. Guard. Through the Holy Spirit who dwells in us, the treasure which has been entrusted to you. Now, God has put a treasure in you. Guard that treasure. Guard that word. Guard that spirit. Guard that fellowship. Guard that covenant. Guard that life together. Guard your wife. Guard your husband. Guard your children whom God has entrusted to you. Don't let anything stand in the way of carrying out that responsibility in God. Guard that which has been entrusted to you. And then the last thing, 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20. And this is the most important in some ways, because the one we're most likely to get caught with, 1 Corinthians 6, 18-20. Flee immorality, for every sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, with whom you have from God, that you are not your own, for you have been bought with a price, therefore glorify God in your body. I'll tell you something. I think a person as he walks along, the Lord Jesus Christ, one thing certainly he ought to be very clear about when he becomes a Christian He's dead finished with immorality of all kinds. He does not feed his mind, she does not feed her mind on pornography. We don't look at lewd magazines. We don't listen to dirty jokes. We don't tell dirty jokes. We don't try to look at women in a wrong way, treat them as sisters with all purity. The immoral man does not hear God except in condemnation. And then if he doesn't hear it, his conscience becomes seared and he hears nothing. I think a man as he goes along in life ought to be getting alcohol out of his life completely. Any other thing that is hurtful to his testimony. And I can tell you that alcohol, smoking, tobacco chewing, things of this nature are hurtful to your testimony to many Christians and many unsaved people as well. They don't understand why you do that. I thought you were a Christian. Didn't know Christians did that. Oh, yeah, we do those things because we... uh never going to hear that out of me that you should do those things. You ought to knock them off. I don't have to smoke. Thank God for it. I don't have to drink. Thank God for it. I don't have to chase women. Thank God for it. Don't have to lie to run a business. Thank God for it. Don't have to brutalize my wife. Thank God for it. Don't have to... See? Don't have to do that. Thank God I've been led by the Holy Spirit. Don't let sin, immorality in any form, rule in your life. You will not hear the Spirit of God, except in condemnation. It'll be like, oh, I don't feel good, or my Christian life isn't good, or nothing's wrong, or this church is no good, or I think I'll go someplace, or I feel. But I'll tell you something, if you do these things I've said, you'll be a delight to yourself, a delight to your family, a delight to your brethren, a delight to your community, as much as that can be, as much as they'll let you be you'll be a delight to the Lord above all things, and you will hear the Spirit of God, and you'll be used by the Spirit of God. Now, I'd like to pray for you this morning. I'd like you to raise your hand to God and make your own prayer to Him. Just a word, and then I'm going to pray for you. Just raise your hands right right now. As a congregation of people, just raise your hands, all of you. And say after me, Father, in the name of Jesus... I want to be guided by the Holy Spirit. I want you to cleanse my conscience. I want you to put a desire in me that will never go away. I don't believe I know anything, Lord. That's worth even knowing unless the Holy Spirit teaches me. Therefore, I want to be open to the Holy Spirit. I want to be taught the word by spiritual men. I want to have my heart opened by the Holy Spirit as I read the Bible. I want to be guided by God in my job and my business. I want to be a good parent. I want to be a good child. I want in every way to please you, Father. Keep my heart disposed to hearing your voice. I ask it in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Amen. I have a message for this Sunday about the Holy Spirit. Hallelujah. Not finished on that subject yet. And the reason why I'm not is really the Holy Spirit is a part of a theme of messages. Remember the message, what's it always been? Knowing Christ. All of our theme is knowing Christ. So everything the Holy Spirit does, if I say to know the Holy Spirit, that's really another way I'm saying the only practical way to know Jesus Christ. Because the Holy Spirit is called the Spirit of Christ. And in the same way, Jesus is the express image of the glory and the nature of the Father. In the same way, the Holy Spirit is the express image of the Father and the express image of the Son. So today, when Jesus went back to heaven and seated the right hand of God, the Spirit of Christ, the Holy Spirit, is in us making Christ real. He is not Christ, but to us He is like Christ because He makes Him real. Everything He speaks about is Christ. He reveals Christ. He talks of Him. He glorifies God. He does all the things that He does. So all that we're moving toward here in this understanding is that entire theme of knowing Christ, knowing him in his fullness, knowing him in his power, so that we may fulfill the work in this earth which glorifies God. Now today, the subject is on my heart is to give you an aspect of the Holy Spirit because I want you to walk in the fullness of the Spirit. And to help you walk in the fullness of the Spirit I want you to see what happens when people walk in partial fullness of the Spirit. Now, for years I grew up among Pentecostal people, and I don't think you'll find a better people on the face of the earth. They have a heart for God. They're certainly born again. They're filled with the Spirit. They have many of the gifts of the Spirit more than we do operating in their midst. And yet, in those years, there were things that I saw that were missing, and I pondered over that. For instance, I saw many men of God raised up, who had great gifts of miracles and healings and signs and wonders. They were genuine. They were not in any way fallacious, though there were some of that too. But not in these men or women. They were real things. Very great healings, very great outpourings of the Spirit. And yet many of these people ended up, some of them drunkards, some of them had left their families and gone off other things, wives left their husbands, because they felt they had some larger revelation. And actually their lives in the end were ruined and destroyed. See, I pondered why these things. And then my own marriage came to ruin. Over three years I wandered about like a vagabond. What is it? And yet I was filled with the Spirit. In the sense that I'd received the baptism. Wasn't filled with the Spirit while I was walking away from my wife. But I mean, I had that infilling. That was there. And it was available. But now I'm walking through the desert. Even these men. What is wrong? I want to give you an aspect. To know how to walk in the Spirit. To be filled with the Spirit. To have the fullness, all the fullness of God that the Bible speaks about. And how to draw upon that throughout the rest of your life. Because in later years, God began to show me things that I began to add into my life. They gave a stability to it. They gave a drama to it. They gave a glory to it. They put a faith in my heart. An ability to see things done that is not mine naturally. And it wasn't mine even when I was originally baptized in the Holy Spirit. I don't want you just to be baptized in the Holy Spirit now. I want you to be filled with the Spirit and walking in the Spirit so that all the fullness of God will work through your lives. And many times what happens in the beginning of our Christian experience, we obtain a measure of that infilling. Enough so that we know we're sealed in Christ, the genuine thing. But the fact is after a period of time, because we've not worked the rest of it in our lives, the actual fact is most of us get on some pretty desert places, and then we wonder what's wrong with our Christian experience. Well, I hope today to be reveal a little bit of what is wrong with some people's Christian experience and maybe over a lifetime, everyone's Christian experience at some time. And when you hit those places, how to come out of it and get yourself back on track again. So let's pray now for a unique anointing on this message. Father, pray now in the name of Jesus for that divine anointing. I pray, Father, that your Holy Spirit, who is the anointer, will come upon me, anoint me, The Lord, also anoint the hearts of the people, give them a full measure of the Holy Spirit here this morning, that this message will be meaningful to them in every part of their mind and their being, Father, and Lord, we may go out of here a different people. Grant that to us, precious Father, we ask it in Jesus' name, amen. Now, I'd like you to turn with me to the book of Judges. laid a pretty good foundation. As a matter of fact, it seems to me the Holy Spirit has laid the main foundation here for us to deal with. And I'm just going to pick up on what the Holy Spirit has already done, carry it hopefully a little further. Third chapter of the book of Judges. Now in the Bible, I'm going to give you a secret of Bible study. And it's a secret that most people don't understand is a secret. See, God is not like most people. When God has a secret, He tells everybody if they want to hear it. See, for instance, you want to know the secret of going to heaven? God says to His church, tell everybody about that secret. See, you don't want any secrets. Not that way. Now, many people, because our minds, we have some idea that there's some like secret formula or magic thing or something special that, sure, you can read the Bible, but somewhere in there, there's like three key words, and they're right after a comma someplace and before a period. And if you could just read those three words and get a revelation on it, then here the whole key, the Bible would open up, and there it would all be, and uh, you'd be this great deliverer of the people because you know the three key words. Well, there are no three key words in the Bible. I want to tell you the secret of the Bible. Whatever God talks a lot about, that's what's important. And if you'll pay attention to what God talks a lot about, and you'll keep your life oriented toward what God talks a great deal about, then I tell you something, that's what's going to shape your life for good. So we go through the Bible and we say, that. what does God speak a lot about then? Well, the subject we're talking about is everywhere to be found in the Bible. See, we mention that again and again, but now let's take a look at how God connects again and again victory, faith, power, glory, courage with the Holy Spirit. Again and again. Now in the book of Judges. Very unique book. Remember, they didn't have the Bible. They probably had the five books of Moses, but how well they read or how well they knew it, I don't know. They knew the law. But they gotten away from it a great deal. They fell away from God in many cases. Third chapter here. And now these are the nations which the Lord left to test Israel by them. That is all who had not experienced any of the wars of Canaan. In order that the generation of the sons of Israel might be taught war, those who were not experienced formerly. Then it goes on to name these various nations. Then verse 7, And the sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord. Now here we have them departing again from God. See, something was missing in their experience, although they had great experiences, they had seen great deliverances, they had great history behind them. God opened the Red Sea and the River Jordan, and He did this on the Mount. He gave us the law, and here's the tablets of stone, and here's the very tabernacle, and all of those wonderful things... But pretty soon that isn't enough. Something's not right in their experience. And they drift off, and next thing, you are out here in the desert somewhere, and they've forgotten God. The sons of Israel did what was evil in the sight of the Lord and forgot the Lord their God and served Baals and Ashtoreth. Now, these Baals were a spirit. And I'm going to get into this a little bit later as we deal with the book of Revelation. You see, you're dealing with two spirits, the Holy Spirit and evil spirits. And these spirits are constantly drawing people like this. Now, we have the privilege as Christians to give ourselves wholly and completely to the Holy Spirit, in which case we have renounced and turned our back on these things. They have no more power to destroy or make us destroy or do anything to us, whatever. Now, on the other hand, though, if we forget God and walk away from God and give ourselves over here, then we open ourselves up to great kinds of evil dealings. We have to be very careful about doing this kind of thing. And some people have done that, sometimes knowledgeably, sometimes they've been deceived, and the next thing, they're into strange behavior and strange doctrines and strange ideas that have nothing to do with Scripture or whatever, but they're into it. And they can speak with a power sometimes. Get up and explain their position with authority and power. Where do they get that anointing? Well, it's an anointing, all right. But it's an evil anointing. But it's a spiritual anointing. So these people gave themselves over to Baals and Asherah. Now, here we come. Then the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, so they sold him in the hands of Cushan Rishatham, and they went into bondage. The king of Mesopotamia and the sons of Israel served Cushan Rishatham eight years. Now look what the people of God do, though. That's what God's people always ought to do. If something isn't going right, the majority of people complain. But that's the wrong thing to do. It does no good at all. See, if you say, oh, this is hard, oh, this is no good... Oh, this is a desert country. Oh, this is rough. Oh, this is, we're all dead. And whatever else might be our ideas. That isn't the answer. The answer is to call out mightily to God. Say, Lord, fill me with your spirit. See, I went over here and went a-whoring after other gods. Or I forgot you, or I haven't done what I should, and I'm out here in the desert. Now, Lord, take me and lead me back and... See, that's what we need to cry out. Well, they cried this out. Now, as soon as they do that... When the sons of Israel cried to the Lord, the Lord raised up a deliverer of the sons of Israel to deliver them, named Othniel, son of Kenaz, Caleb's younger brother. And what happens that makes him a judge and a deliverer? Read it. And the Spirit of the Lord came upon him, and he judged Israel. When he went out to war, the Lord gave Cushan Reshaphnaim, king of Mesopotamia, into his hand, so that he prevailed over him. Then the land had rest forty years. Othniel, the son of Kenaz, died. Now what made him a great judge? What made him a great judge was the Spirit of the Lord came upon him. Now, next judge is raised up here. Go over with me, please, now to chapter 6. Now, here we come to this great leader, Gideon. Gideon isn't naturally a great leader. Not too much of a leader at all, as a matter of fact. Verse 33, Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east assembled themselves. I'll give a little background of the story here. Gideon was commanded by God to go in and knock the arms off their God. I'll turn back here just a little bit and read this to you. Kind of an interesting foreground to this, because Gideon is not this super courageous man. I think that's the thing that has to be understood here. He's an ordinary man, which you and I are ordinary people in a pretty heavy-duty world. It tells what he did, though, that Gideon saw, verse 22, When Gideon saw these the angel of the Lord, he said, Alas, O Lord God, for now I have seen the angel of the Lord face to face. And the Lord said to him, Peace to you, do not fear, you shall not die. Then Gideon built this altar. Now verse 25. Now the same night it came about that the Lord said to him, Take your father's bull, a second bull, seven years old, and pull down the altar of Baal, which belongs to your father, and cut down the Asherah. See, this bales that they gave themselves in the Asherah, cut it down beside it, and build an order of the Lord your God on top of this stronghold in an orderly manner. Take a second bull and offer it, and so forth. Then Gideon took ten men of his servants and did as the Lord had spoken to him. And it came about because he is too afraid of his father's household and the men of the city to do it by day. He did it by night. they went there and broke the head off the thing and the arms. That was a common way. Showed you your arms are chopped off and your head's chopped off. You're in pretty bad shape. So when the men of the city arose early in the morning, behold, the altar of Baal was torn down and the Asherah's side was cut down. The second bull was offered on the altar and they said one to another, who did this thing? And when they searched about and inquired, they said, Gideon, the son of Joash, did this thing. Then the men of the city said to Joash, bring out your son that he may die. He said, what do you want my son to die for? Well, because he busted God up. That's what he did. Right over there in the church. He tore his arms off and broke his head off. And the father answers him. He said, well, now that is really some God we must be serving over there. If my son went in and busted God up. Now, it's really interesting. Here these men were like, oh, man, are we mad? You broke God. And the father said, Must be not much of a god if he can't defend himself. And he said, The rest of you, what he's told him, you're really dinglings if you go for a thing like this. That's right. If he's the God, he should be able to take care of his own arms in his head. See? And so they all go home. And I can see almost Gideon standing and say, Oh Lord, thank you, Lord. See, got out of that one all right. Now, the wonderful part about it though, here comes Gideon, sixth chapter. He's walking along again, verse thirty three. Then all the Midianites and the Amalekites and the sons of the east assembled themselves and they crossed over and camped in the valley of Jezreel. Now here's all these soldiers laying out here. And what did Gideon do? Well, some people look at this and say he blew a trumpet. Well, now I tell you that Gideon was not standing around someday and says, wow, I I broke Dagon's arms off and tore the Asherah down and uh, got away with that. Now you know what I think I'm going to do? I'm going to go out here and blow a trumpet. No, he didn't do that. He's looking at all those soldiers out there like this and saying, oh, look at that, look at that, look at that. And then the Bible says something happened to him. And that's, that's what you need to happen to you. That's what I need to happen to me. That's what makes us lose our common sense. The worst thing in the world is a Christian with common sense. The more common sense you have, the less you do for God. See, you look out there, now here's common sense. Now let's see, they've got 685,000 soldiers and They've got cannons and guns and nuclear weapons and so forth and so on, and there's only a few of us, and we don't have any weapons. Now, I'm a man of common sense. I better not do anything at all. See? But I tell you, the Bible says, in the spirit of God came on Gideon, and he lost all his common sense, and he blew a trumpet. Ta-ta! And the message goes out, and 30,000 men assemble themselves before him. What is the nature of this message, Gideon? He said, we're going to run those guys out of town. Hallelujah. So what we're going to do is take our land back again. Then the Bible says, there's a law in Israel. Okay, here's this law. Now, if anyone is cowardly or afraid, he can go home. Because they didn't want cowards fighting. And they're right in the middle of the battle or something like that. When the battle gets heavy, the cowards, oh, I'm afraid. And they run home and they demoralize the whole crew. So better let the cowards go home first. At the beginning, looking at only 30,000, Lord. Again, 600 and some thousand. Oh, my God. Alright. You Israelites, now I want this to be clear to you. There's a law in Israel that allows any yellow-bellied coward, somebody with a big yellow stripe right down their back, mile wide, someone who won't fight for God, for country, for mother, and for children, you can go home. But everybody will be seeing you. Twenty thousand take right off over the hill, and he's left with ten thousand. See now, here's get in. Oh God, what now, Lord? God says there's only one problem. See, the Spirit of God is on him. What now, O oh Lord? You have too many people, him. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. So he takes him down the river, leaves him with 300. 300 people. 300 people that had something wonderful. They had a torch in one hand and a trumpet on the other and a sword by their side. Now you know what those three things represent? And they said, surround the Amalekites. And here they all lay along the valley like this for grasshoppers and multitude. And he said, you hold up that torch high. You break that shelf around that torch, showing the Spirit of God. You blow your trumpet with me, you're going to preach the gospel. And you pull that sword and say, the sword of the Lord in Gideon. The word of God, the Spirit of God, in action, preaching the gospel. I tell you something, you get 300 men and women that don't have any more common sense than to be out there in the middle of the night with those three weapons and say, we're going to take on 600,000 with camels and ammunition and warfare and so forth. But that's what the Spirit of God does to It causes you to lose your common sense. And one of the most important things a person can do is lose their common sense. Now, your common sense is good for telling you to tie your shoes in the morning. You should always pay attention to your common sense unless the Spirit of God comes on you. And then it doesn't matter whether you tie your shoes or not. But in the morning when you get up out of bed, use your common sense. Tie your shoes. Put your clothes on. If it's raining, put on a raincoat or take an umbrella or do what you have to do. But I'll tell you something, when it comes to doing the work of God, when it comes to living for Christ, when it comes to relating to each other, when it comes to building something that is worthwhile, it isn't built by common sense. It's built by men and women that have faith and courage that takes them out of the ordinary, that makes them do the crazy, the insane things, insane to the world. See, what Gideon did, stop and think about That is crazy. He goes in there and the whole nation is going to whoring after these bales. But Gideon hears God and he does something. That's all his faith will allow him to do. He does it. And, oh. Now Gideon, here's what I want you to do. Oh, oh, all right, Lord, I uh, my common sense tells me I shouldn't forget your common sense. Get out there and do it. And the Spirit of God, ta ta and they gather. Gideon, cowards go home, twenty thousand go home. You know something? If he'd had any common sense what he'd have done right after twenty thousand went home? He'd have gone home, hallelujah said, let me get out of here. This is crazy. And I'm not a crazy man. I'm a sensible man, and I'm getting out. Instead, he made a mistake. He said, God, what now? God said, way too many people get it. Oh, God, you're blowing my mind. That's right. That's the whole plan, to blow your mind. You have too much mind. Okay, now I'm saying natural things. Fine, use your common sense. Car doesn't go. So what's wrong with my car? You look around, the key is not in the ignition. Ha! Common sense, wonderful. See? But I'm gonna tell you something. When you begin to see all the things as we've laid them out here, and I see how God wisely led me to do that, what it means knowing Christ, and here we're going through this whole range of things of what God wants us to do and what we are not to do. Then a person comes to say, Oh my God, I see it, but how in this side of heaven am I ever going to be able to do anything? How can I do it, oh Lord? You know what your common sense mind tells you? You can't. That's our common sense. If we stay in that realm, you can't do anything. But if you yield up and say, Spirit of the living God, come on me and make me another man. Make me another woman. Make me another person. Then you can do what you couldn't do before. And that's what Gideon did. And those 300 that were with him, doesn't say it, but that's the same thing. Here they're standing out there. Here's all we've got. They're there, they're looking. Common sense tells us we ought to get out of here. Spirit of God says... We had to hold that torch up and break it like that and blow a trumpet and say, the sword of the Lord in Gideon. And when they did that, the Spirit of God moved among the enemy and they began to cut each other down and run in all directions. And what a way to win a war, huh? Now here's common sense. Here's a way to win a war. See? And then finally, the 300, after the the people are out of the valley and they're running, here's the 300 all gathered together, and they go chasing just 600,000 over the hills. And I'm telling you, as they look back on I don't know what they saw back there. The Bible doesn't say, but I kind of like to imagine things a little bit. Because other things have shown that to be true. You think, when they look back there and just saw 300 people that they didn't have common sense to... No, they lost their common sense also. See, because the spirit of the Lord was chasing them hard, and He was coming on them from a different way. But you know, when they looked back there, it wouldn't surprise me, they saw three hundred with Gideon, and Gideon lead them and yelling at them, and we're going to get you, we're going to get you. Them, either they might have saw a million and a half angels right behind them, just coming right over on their horses like this. They get me out of here, see, and the country was set free. It's the spirit of God that makes those differences. Now let's go on to the next thing. Turn to me, chapter eleven. Same situation here. Now, we like to look at Samson think, ah, now there's a man. Ate his Wheaties in the morning, got up, took tremendous exercise, and really got himself ready for warfare and so forth, when I believe he was a strong man. Because later on, after he put his eyes out, he was still able to grind at the mill by himself, which another might take an animal to do. All right, now here he's born, raises up a little bit, and then in verse 20, here's Manoah out here. For it came about when the flame went up from the altar, they met an angel now. They've offered an offering and so forth. When Manoah and his wife saw this, they fell on her face to the ground. Verse 21, Now the angel of the Lord appeared no more to Manoah or to his wife. Then Manoah knew he was an angel from the Lord. So Manoah said to his wife, We shall surely die, for we have seen God. And that was a common belief at that time. But his wife said to him, If the Lord had desired to kill us, he would not have accepted the burnt offering and a grain offering at our hands, nor would he have shown us all the things. That he has shown us. Let us hear these things like this at this time. Then the woman gave birth to a son and named him Samson, and the child grew up and the Lord blessed him. Look at verse twenty five. Now here he's this little child, but something begins to happen out of the ordinary. It says the Spirit of God, the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him in Mahanadan between Zora and Eshteol. Now that was what Samson was. Samson was not great because he had great muscles. He was not great because he had a brilliant mind. We'll see that he did not have any of those things, although he had the muscles, but not the mind. But what Samson did have is the gifting of God that the Spirit of God began to move upon him. And I don't know what it was, how it happened, whether maybe he was like running ordinarily and then the Spirit of God would touch him and... and he would run. You know, they make things like the $6 million man and the bionic woman and so forth. Well, I'll tell you something. Samson wasn't a bionic man or a bionic woman. He was an ordinary piece of flesh with no particular attachments in him except one thing, the Spirit of God moved upon him, and he began to be a different kind of a person. Or maybe he was picking up something that he could barely touch, and then, oh God, what happened to me here? And then the Spirit of God would leave at that point, and then he'd be weak like, what happened to me? I, I don't understand. See, Spirit of God was moving upon him, began to deal with him ever more aggressively in his life. Take a look now at chapter 14. Then Samson went down to Timnah and saw a woman of Timnah and the daughters of the Philistines. So he came back and told his father and mother, I saw a woman in Timnah, one of the daughters of the Philistines. Now therefore, get her for me as a wife. Then his father and his mother said to him, Is there no woman among the daughters of your relatives or among our people that you go take a wife the uncircumcised Philistines? But Samson said to his father, Get her for me. She looks good to me. However, his father and mother did not know that it was of the Lord, for he was seeking an occasion against the Philistines. Now, at that time, the Philistines were ruling over Israel. Then Samson went down to Timnah with his father and mother and came as far as the vineyards of Timnah. And behold, a young lion came roaring toward him. Now, ordinary man again. He's walking along and suddenly out of nowhere comes this lion just roaring down upon him. And then what happened? The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily so that he tore it as one tears a kid. And he had nothing in his hand. He did not tell his father or mother what he had done. See, and then it was over, it's like... Lord, what happened here? See, here's this lion roaring down, and the thing is ready to spring. Maybe it does spring. Its jaws are open, and suddenly the spirit of God comes upon him, and he, and the thing is torn to pieces. And then he's like an ordinary man. God, how can I tell my mother and father about? It? Will they believe it? Will they? These things have been happening to me all my life. What is the purpose of this? Well, of course, the purpose was to prepare him for that great destiny. The same kind of thing that you have a destiny that's why you want to let the spirit of god deal in your life that's why you want to be filled with the spirit that's why you want to speak in tongues that's why you want to let god touch you that's why you want to hear these prophetic words that's why you want to let god prophesy through you and speak in tongues with interpretations you why you want to pray for the sick see to let god move through you move upon you you're being moved see folks dreams are not carried out by smart people Dreams aren't carried out by emotionally dynamic people. Dreams, the kind of dreams we're talking about, the kind of dream for which you were woven in your mother's womb by God, are carried out by empowering you with the Holy Spirit. That's how they're carried out. And you need to submit yourself and let God move upon you. There are times when I'm praying to God, I break out crying before Him. Not of sadness, but so great God is, and He touches me. And it's like, oh God, You're so marvelous. Please. That's preparing me for war. See, it isn't like when the next time when I face the enemy touches me again, God, you're with me. I'll take on a thousand. He's not afraid anymore. Like it's my common sense is gone. But what's replaced it is the mind of Christ, which says one man and God is a majority anytime. See, if you're filled with the Spirit of God. Now, verse six that I just read, the Spirit of God came upon him. He tore the lion. Then he, he went down verse seven. Talked to the woman. She looked good to Samson. He returned later to take her. He turned aside to look at the carcass of the lion. And he saw something there that came into his mind as an idea. Tell a riddle was what he was going to do. Now, the enemy came to him and he propounds to them something. Then Samson said to them, verse 12, Let me now propound a riddle to you. If you will indeed tell it to me within seven days of the feast and find it out, then I will give you thirty linen wraps, thirty change of clothes. But if you're unable to tell it to me, you shall give me thirty garments. Then he tells them the riddle, verse 14, out of the eater came something to eat and out of the strong came something sweet, because these bees had built a nest there with a lion. But they could not tell the riddle in three days. Then it came about on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, entice your husband, that he may tell us the riddle, lest we burn you and your father's house with fire. Have you invited us to impoverish us? Is this not so? And Samson's wife wept before him, enticed him, finally told the riddle, and then he meets the men of the city, verse 18. And they said to him, what is sweeter than honey and what is stronger than a lion? And he said to them, if you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have found out my riddle. Now notice verse 19. Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily, and he went down to Ashkelon and slew the enemy. See, again, every time that there is a victory for God, it is the result of what taking place. The Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. You must know how to let the Spirit of God. You must seek the Spirit of God. You must open yourself to the Spirit of God. You're not seeking tongues. You're not seeking signs. You're not seeking wonders. You're seeking a person. And that person is the expression of Jesus in this day and time. Oh, Spirit of God, move on me. Just like if you'd have been here 2,000 years ago while Jesus was here, you'd say, Lord Jesus, touch me. Lord Jesus, influence me. Lord Jesus, But Jesus said, yes, I am with you now. And the Spirit is with you. But it's expedient for you that I go away. For if I go not away, he will not come. He is with you. He shall be in you. See, we want the Spirit of God in us, flowing out of us, moving upon us in all directions. Now, I'm going to talk about the directions in a few moments here. Because you're going to see that Samson had only one aspect of the Holy Spirit. See, you don't get like the Holy Spirit... There are aspects of the Holy Spirit. And each one of them must be precious to you. See, it must be precious to your heart. When you look at one and say, oh, that is valuable, I want that of the Holy Spirit. And then here's another aspect of the Holy Spirit, and you look at that and say, oh, I want that. And another, I want that. And I want that. And I want that. And so that you are seeking for every aspect of the Holy Spirit like you should be seeking for every aspect of Jesus. See, if you say, oh, Jesus, I just want to be saved and go to heaven. Well, there's many people just exactly like that. Their lives are a shambles. They have no dynamic vitality, but they are saved. They don't ever do anything. They don't ever want to do anything. They're just looking forward to dying and going to heaven. And some else say, Lord, that isn't enough for me. Lord, I want to follow you. I want you to be my Lord. And that then I want to be filled with your spirit, Lord. And I want to know what it means to be equipped by you so I can do the ministry. And Lord, I want the Holy Spirit working. Lord, I want I want everything you have, Lord. They every aspect. Of God is what we're looking for. Now, Spirit of God comes upon him mightily. He slays these enemies. Now then he leaves this woman and he marries another, Delilah. Now we're getting down to the tragic part of the story, but yet God turns it for good also. Turn with me, please, to chapter 15. Go back here to uh, his own people bounding now because they were threatening to burn the people of God. we start at verse 12. And they said to him, We have come down, his own people now, to bind you so that we may give you to the hands of the Philistines. And Samson said to them, Swear by me that you will not kill me while I'm bound. So they said to him, No, but we will bind you fast. See, they had common sense. They said, We're going to be burned. And Samson, we better give you over and sacrifice you rather than all of us. That's common sense. They didn't have faith in God. We will give you under their hands, yet surely we will not kill you. And they bound him with two new ropes, bound him fast, and brought him up from the rock. And when he came to Lehi, the Philistines shouted as they met him, and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him mightily. I always like the way the Holy Spirit does this, because he's the one that's written the Bible. The Holy Spirit came upon him mightily so that the ropes that were on his arms were as flax that is burned with fire, and the bonds dropped from his hands. How many of you ever know what flax is? Ever seen flax, burned, very weak, just nothing like that? And it says, it's like he's standing there like this, or he's on the rock, totally bound, and they look at him and knew, Ha, ah, we've got you, Samson! And the Spirit of God comes on him He goes like, and the ropes fall off. Or the three children in the fiery furnace. Throw them in there. The soldiers that threw them in fall down and they're dead because the heat of the furnace was so great. Nebuchadnezzar is looking at that. Now here, Nebuchadnezzar's mind is blown. He's looking in there, see, like this. He says, hey, fellas. Yeah, what is it though, king, mighty king, wise warrior, great leader? I'd like to know, didn't we throw three people bound into the furnace? Yes, throw, one, two, three, that's right. Then I'd like to know how come I see four people in there, and one looks like the son of God. They look, I don't know. <laughs> Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego? Yes, king? See, now, you you read this stuff, it reads like, like, what is going on there? See, you ever been burned in a fire? How many have ever had a good burn on your hand? You know what that means? Now, if you saw three people walking around in a furnace, you throw them in, and here's this fourth fling just roaring like this, and then here they're walking around in there, and they're saying, ah. And here's a fourth one walking around, with his arms on them like this, and they're roaring like this. Now, what do you think would happen to your common sense? Well that's where he was like uh ah, Shadrag me shagging the bed and go Yes You hear me in it? Yes. Come out That okay, King, we're coming out. Goes over to him. Then we smell the fire. What's going on here? Then he says his greater wisdom returned. He said, there is no other God that can deliver after this sort. Therefore, let no one in this nation ever say anything about the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego ever again because if they do, they will be killed and their houses will be cut down and made into a dung hill. Now, I tell you, that would get you to think twice about talking bad about God in that nation, see. But if you can understand that these things are the operations of the Holy Spirit of God, they are not Sense They're not brains. They're not shrewdness. They're not cleverness. And I'll tell you something. I sometimes wonder if we as a people haven't got so tied up with principles, never get that, that I'm ever putting them down, but almost like we know how to do it now. See, we know how to counsel people. We know how to teach people. We know how to lead people. We know how to guide people. We know how to show people. We know how to... But I want to tell you something that it's like this. A zeal for God without knowledge is a very bad thing. But I'm going to tell you, knowledge without the Holy Spirit is not a good thing either. But it's when you have a zeal for God according to knowledge filled with the Spirit, that is when you have a dynamic church. See, that's what makes it a powerful thing. Now, here it is. This man marries now Delilah, this woman Delilah, 16th chapter, getting over here. She's talking to him. She gets him to lay in her lap. He tells her of 17th verse, of I am shaved, Then my strength will disappear, and I will become weak as man. He's done this four or five times already. Then Delilah saw that he had told her all that was in his heart, and she sent and called the lords of the Philistines, saying, Come up once more, for he has told me all that is in his heart. Then the lords of the Philistines came up to her and brought the money in their hands. And she made him sleep on her knees and called for a man and had him shave off the seven heads very deep in sleep, probably a drug or wine sleep. Seven locks of his hair. And she began to afflict him. She began to poke him or punch him or whatever it was. And his strength left him. And she said, the Philistines are upon you, Samson. And he awoke out of his sleep and said, I will go out as other times and shake myself free. But he did not know that the Lord had departed from him. Now I'll tell you something. He had the same knowledge as before. He was still Samson. He was still an Israelite put another way he's still a christian but whatever it was that made him what he was was gone and that something was the lord the spirit of the lord had withdrawn from him and just like when he could reach out to that land and tear it apart in a moment and then a moment later be a normal person because the spirit of the lord had departed from him at that moment but not in a bad way now he began to think little by little i can do anything i want and i can get away with it and i can just i have power i know how to do it i can get it done and then God withdrew from him and suddenly the Philistines were upon him and he was just an ordinary man. And they took him and they put out his eyes and they put him in the mill to grind, took the animals away or maybe they had him, wanted him to him, I don't know, but he ground. And then finally they have a great celebration there. God Dagon, that spiritual devilish worship. And they say, bring Samson and he may amuse us. One of the things says, very insightful there, says he ground at the mill. He said, his eyes were put out and so forth. How be it the hairs of his head began to grow again, indicating his dedication, his, his consecration is coming back to God. Oh God, I repent before you. Oh God, I have sinned before you. Oh God, I pray once again like David, take not the joy of thy salvation away from me. Let thy Holy Spirit rest upon me, O oh Lord. Cleanse me and purge me from within and without That kind of a prayer. And he grounded them, oh God. And finally they take him into where these great crowds are gathered in this great building, great temple to their God, Dagon. And it says, amuse us, Samson, says he entertained them. I don't know what they made him do. Maybe they stuck him with swords and he danced or they threw explosives down and he jumped and They laughed and roared at this great enemy of the people was now captured by them. And after they'd gone on for some period of time, they stopped. And he says to the boy that was with him, see what a downplay this was. The boy was leading him around because he couldn't see, couldn't do anything. And he said, lead me over to the pillars that hold up this building. And he left him there. Maybe he needs a rest. Then he cries out, oh God, once again I pray thee, remember me. And then he said he bowed himself with all of his might. Now what happened again? He said in his death he slew more than his life. Let me die with the Philistines. I've lost my eyes. I've lost whatever chances I had, whatever I might have been at some point. But let there at least be one last thing, O Lord. Remember me. Isn't God gracious? And the Spirit of God came upon him once again. And And those pillars went over, and the whole thing collapsed in on itself. Spirit of the living God. See, whatever you will do for God, it won't be done because you're smart. It won't be done because you've served God for 40 years. I've almost served God for 40 years. I tell people you serve God for 40 years, you don't know anything more about running a church than the first day you're saved. Hopefully what you do know is how to yield to the Spirit in a better way. You've practiced it. You've allowed yourself to be moved upon by the Spirit. You've listened for His voice. You've allowed the different aspects of God to work in your life. I want to talk about those different aspects of God. Turn with me please to Isaiah. The 11th chapter. When I read these, you'll get some insight here. That's what I want you to have. The 11th chapter. Now it's talking about Jesus, but it's talking about you too, because you can be filled with the same Spirit. Then a shoot will spring up from the stem of Jesse, and a branch from his roots will bear fruit, and the Spirit of the Lord will rest upon him. I want you to listen to this. The Spirit of Wisdom. Now this isn't... Seven individual spirits, although in the book of Revelation it speaks about the seven spirits of God, but it means the aspects of the Holy Spirit. Spirit of wisdom and understanding. You want to get by in this world? You need wisdom. You don't need your own wisdom. Sometimes I'm pretty wise. I search people out and I know what's in people. and I know how to get along in this world and I become pretty shrewd and I'm street smart. And I know how to... Oh, brothers and sisters... Don't ever kid yourself about smartness. We're not smart. The things God commands us to do, he tells us to walk through this world. He says, you're a sheep in the middle of wolves. Now, if I'm going to act like a wolf in return to a wolf, so a wolf comes up to me and says, I'm going to take a bite right out of your flank. And I say, well, if you do, I'll kick your face in and the guy, well, I guess I'll back off that. Well, that's a mighty good thing. And you say, you say, see, I have wisdom there. Now, that's the wisdom of the world. That's wolf talking to wolf. See? But on the other hand, if somebody comes up and says, I'm going to take a bite out of your flank, and you say, well, Lord, you commanded me to be wise as a serpent, but harmless as a dove, so I really can't smash his mouth in. I really can't kick his head in. I really can't show me what to do, O oh Lord. Spirit of the living God, come upon me. He says, well, one aspect of the Spirit is what? Say it. Wisdom. Now say that. Spirit of wisdom. See? You need that aspect of God. Now, do you think Samson had the Spirit of wisdom on him? No, he did not. He didn't have that aspect. Now we're going to read, and you're going to pick up what spirit he did have. The Spirit of wisdom and understanding. We were down there the other day, yesterday, some of the apostles... Talking back and forth, you say, well, surely apostles have all these no they not necessarily apostles can be just as dull as uh just dull, you know, and we're talking to each other and we're explaining it's like this, and the guy said, did you say this well no, i didn't say this well i well how come you say i'm sure you said this no i didn't we said this we see him God in heaven give us a spirit of understanding. see here we are like oh, oh! oh, 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 oh you said he said we said they said see, uh, Spirit of God, understanding. And then a breakthrough came. It's like, oh, that's what you mean. Oh, thank God. See? Understanding. Because we can't hear. We, and we say, you say, now I'm going to say this real carefully now. Da, 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 da. What? That's right. See, spirit of understanding. Well, now, do you think Samson has a spirit of understanding? That's very well. Don't you think it'd be a better... No, that isn't what I want. What I want is... Okay. Spirit of wisdom, spirit of counsel, and of might. The spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. You know where the fear of the Lord comes from? It comes from the Spirit of the Lord. You know where knowledge comes from? The Spirit of the Lord. You know where strength comes from? The Spirit of the Lord. You know where counsel comes from? Spirit of the Lord. Oh, well, I know how to counsel... How do you know you know how to counsel? Well, I've read several books on the thing, and I've uh, been to college, and I have a degree in psychology, psychiatry, and so forth, I know how to counsel. You don't really. Elders, I know how to counsel. I've been counseling for 20 years, 30 years, 40 years, 50 years. Don't know how to counsel. You tell me you know what's in a person's heart, the pain they're going through, the complexities of life, What they suffered in their childhood and their young manhood and womanhood and the pains and how it's affected them. You know that, do you, by looking at somebody? I don't know that. After 30 years, I don't know that. I remember speaking to somebody years ago and they were telling me, yes, and the Lord is doing this and the Lord is doing this. It's just wonderful what's happening and praise God and so forth. says, stop a minute, please. I think I told you this last week. Bear repeating Why, if this is true, do I hear a crying in your spirit that overwhelms what I hear you say? That person, how do you know? I don't know. Spirit of God, counsel. See, say to Him this word here. Sometimes the spirit of counsel comes on you. You don't even know what you're doing. It's the spirit of counsel. You see back later, spirit of counsel. Walking down the street one time. Down in Living Waters Ranch, you know, he had it years ago, don't have it anymore. And, uh, brother was walking along there, had a little kind of a bag in his hand, or handkerchief or something, kind of carrying it along, or some package, it wasn't much. And, uh, out of nowhere I say, I don't even know even why he said it, well, I said, I knew you were mad, but I didn't think you were so bad you were gonna leave. And the guy, threw him like that, and he dropped the thing like this. He said, How did you know I didn't tell anybody? I said, how do I know what? I said, well, I was going to leave, and I'm mad. I said, spirit of counsel. Thank you. I didn't know, but it was God who caused me to speak these words to you. Let us go talk. The guy's still in the ministry to this day. But I tell you, without the spirit of counsel, I'd have gone along there. Hi, so-and-so. Oh, hi, Jim. Oh, oh, oh. See, and then he takes off right down the road. Boy, I never knew. The guy's all blown out, and he's gone, and now where is he? Spirit of counsel. Well, he didn't have that spirit of counsel. Too bad he didn't have it, see? Now, here's what we want. What did he have? He had a part of that spirit, though. What did he have? Look through it. Where did he have? That's right, a spirit of strength, a spirit of might. That was all he had. See, and I tell you, I've seen people, like with one gift, they'll get the gift of healing, or the gift of faith, or some gift, and they'll take that one gift, and they'll just buy a tent, and the next thing they're doing this with it, and, the next thing, they've left their wife or their husband or they've left their friends and they've left their family that they belong to and they're off in all kinds of craziness and foolish and the next thing, they're back in alcohol and sometimes drugs and finally some of them have died, lonely men. I remember one died down here in San Francisco, great man of God, touched my life much in the early days of my ministry, gave me a, a real understanding of the miraculous and the power of God. He died in a hotel room down in San Francisco all alone because he couldn't get healed. Why did he left his wife, left his children, his friends, just destroyed himself? What was missing? He had a gift of power, but he didn't have wisdom. He didn't have might. He didn't have understanding. He didn't have counsel. He didn't have humility. And the Bible talks about in another place the spirit of burning. You know what all of us need? Holy Spirit to come inside and burn out everything that is contrary to God's truth. So we end up like the Holy Spirit. We end up holy men and women of God. Spirit of the Living God, come inside here and burn out everything contrary to what you are. Burn out my temper and burn out my hurts and burn out my pettiness and burn out my weakness and burn out, burn out everything. Just leave me filled with you, Lord, with the Spirit. Turn with me to the Book of Revelation. Two powerful spiritual. Revelations here, I believe. And it's rightly that they would be in the book of Revelation. In Revelation 1, 4, 3, 1, and 5, 6, it speaks about the seven spirits of God. Seven spirits of God which are before the throne. Now Revelation 13, 3. Speaks also about another kind of spirit. We dealt with the Holy Spirit coming upon people. Now Revelation 13, 3. It's talked about the beast scene, seen. And I saw one of the heads as if it had been slain, speaking of the Antichrist, and his fatal wound was healed, and the whole earth was amazed and followed after the beast. And they worshipped the dragon. He gave his authority to the beast, and they worshipped the beast, saying, Who is like to the beast and who is able to wage war with him? And there was given to him a mouth speaking arrogant words and blasphemies, and authority to act for 42 months was given to him. Now notice, in each case, it was given to him. Spiritual power was imparted. Didn't have it. It was given. Same thing with you. If you're ever going to do anything for God, it will be given to you through the operation of the Holy Spirit. It was given to him make war with the saints. And to overcome them, an authority over every tribe and people and tongue and nation was given to him. So he'll rule over the known world at that time. And all who dwell on the earth will worship him. Everyone whose name has not been written from the foundation of the world. In the book of life of the Lamb who has been slain. If anyone has an ear, let him hear. If anyone is destined for captivity, to captivity he goes. Thank God you're not destined to captivity. You've been saved. You're destined to glory. If anyone kills with a sword, with a sword he must be killed. See wolves, killing wolves. Here is the perseverance and faith of the saints. And I saw another beast coming up out of the earth, and he had two horns like a lamb, and he spoke as a dragon. And he exercises all the authority of the first beast in his presence, and he makes the earth and all those who dwell in it to worship the first beast whose fatal wound was healed. And he performs signs, great signs. Where does he get this power? So that he makes fire come down out of heaven and the earth in the presence of men. And he deceives those who dwell on the earth because of the signs which was given to him. Again, given to him to perform in the presence of the beast, telling those who dwell on the earth. And by the way, that word dwell means permanent dwellers. We're not permanent dwellers. We're pilgrims here on this earth. We're passing through. On the earth to make an image of the beast who had the wound of the sword and has come to life. And there was given to him to give breath to the image of the beast. And the image of the beast might even speak and cause as many as do not worship the image of the beast to be killed. And he causes all, small and great, the rich and the poor and the free men and the slaves, to be given a mark on the right hand and in their forehead. And he provides that no one should be able to buy or sell except the one who has the mark, either the name of the beast or the number of his name. Here is wisdom. Let him who has understanding, again, spirit of wisdom, spirit of understanding, calculate the number of a beast, for the number is that of a man, and the number is 666. Now, chapter 16, verses 13 and 14. Here is the power behind it. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon, we'll start at 12, and the sixth angel poured his bowl over the great river the Euphrates, and its water was dried up, that the way of might be prepared for the kings of the east. And I saw coming out of the mouth of the dragon and out of the mouth of the beast and out of the mouth of the false prophets three unclean spirits like frogs, for they are the spirits of demons performing signs which go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them together for the war of the great day of God Almighty. Now where was this power? Where did it come from? There's two kinds of power in this universe. There's evil power... And it can perform certain kinds of miracles and signs. But always it will lead, whatever those miracles do, it leads people to ruin, just like it led the people of the world directly to Armageddon and to their own destruction. Never to salvation, never to an uplifting, always to destruction. Brings the people to arrogance, commanding people to worship the beast, always brings them to that. But the Spirit of the Lord, when he comes upon us, mighty signs and wonders, but it will always leads people to salvation and to blessing and glory, and always to glorify God with our lives. I tell you something, we are coming into this time of revelation and revival in the church now, where people are being filled with the Spirit, where we're beginning to get an understanding of the presence of the Holy Spirit, but I tell you what you need to do, you need to pray to God to walk in the Spirit. You see, when you take a look at your life, ask yourself this, do you make good business decisions? I'm not talking about being in business. You might say, well, I just work at a job or I have this. I'm not talking about that. I mean, do you make good business decisions? When you look back on the things you bought and sold and done, was it good or did it get you into trouble? In the way that you deal with your wife or your husband, is there some understanding, insensitivity, and tenderness there? If there isn't, you need an aspect of the Holy Spirit. For instance, in my business life, I say, spirit of wisdom, come upon me. And I had a thing happen to me, a little thing. Over in this business that I'm working with, the brothers trying to teach them godly business principles, make a demonstration to the church community. We decided to put lights in a paint booth. Now, I mean lights, I mean heat lamps in a paint booth. So we tried to paint faster. So I was standing there telling him, I said, I finally decided that really it's a good thing. We're going to do it. It'll speed up things a whole lot faster and so forth. Great idea. So I said, I wonder where we can get him. We looked him up, $1,000, $1,500, $2,000 with this, that, the other thing. Said, well, if we have to do it, we'll spend it. But I sure don't like spending that kind of money, telling Mike Davis about it. He said, Jim, <laughs> you're going to be surprised. Come on upstairs with me. So I go upstairs with him. He said, do you remember two years ago you and I went to an auction? Well, Yeah. He said, do you remember we tried to get a dump truck? We couldn't get it? The price was too high? Yeah. And then we tried for all other kinds of things? Yeah. He said, do you remember what we bought? No, I don't remember we bought anything. Yeah, we did. He said, don't you remember after the floodlights that I wanted, but the price went so high we just let them go, that there was a bunch of heat lamps laying there? I said, boy, vaguely I remember that. Don't you remember? He said, the guy said, $500, let's start the bid at 500 or 17 of them. There were four bank lights like this with reflectors behind them in a kiln, a dry kiln type of thing, perfect for what, I, what we need them for. And I said, Yeah, kind of remember. And he said, Remember, nobody would bid, and 400, 300, 200, finally down to 50 bucks. And I said, How about 10 bucks? And he said, Take the whole thing and get them out of here. See? <laughs> God knew two years ago I was going to need those lights. See? Spirit of wisdom. See? Now here, we don't even know his wisdom. You know, I'm standing there saying, uh, I don't know what we need heat lights for. Mike says, "I don't know either. Five uh, hundred? No. Four? No. Four hundred? No. Fifty? No. Then he does a dumb thing. If you don't need them, what do you need them for? Even ten bucks for? How about ten bucks? Take them, get them out of here. Okay, okay. Well, okay, Mike. I guess we can use them for ten dollars. So we haul them out of here. But two years later, they're exactly the thing we need. The spirit of wisdom." See, I'm saying the thing in dealing with life, dealing with your brethren, dealing with your boss, dealing with your dreams. Lord, you've given me a dream to see this. I need wisdom. I need understanding. I need strength. I need to be cleansed inside. I need, I need, I need, I need, I need every aspect of you Holy Spirit. Thank you. And when that, every one of those becomes precious to you, not just, give me strength, Lord, because I want to go out and beat up the Philistines. No. Lord, in the Old Testament, maybe that's all they could do. Lord, I don't want to beat up the Philistines. I want to win the Philistines to Jesus Christ. Lord, I want to see this gospel preached in the world. Give me strength, Lord. I'll go over there and bust the Russians up. I don't want to bust the Russians up. I want to win the Russians to Christ. I want to win the Chinese to Christ. I want to win the murderers and slayers and rapists and pillagers to Christ. Hey, how do you do that? Spirit of wisdom. Spirit of understanding. Spirit of compassion. Spirit of burning. Spirit of... You ask God for that gift. And every aspect of God's gift in you. And it will transform your life completely and totally. You understand what I said this morning? Hallelujah. I want you to just stand up with me now and I want you to do something physical. Hallelujah. I want you just to raise your hands like this toward the Lord. Say, Lord, I want every aspect of the Holy Spirit in my life. I want to be filled completely with the Holy Spirit. I want to walk in the Spirit. I want the Holy Spirit to spill out of me in every direction. I want to be a blessing to everyone everywhere. I want to be like Jesus. I want to be fully equipped, Lord Jesus, so I can minister life and truth. I want to see this world one to Jesus. And above all, Father... I want to see you glorified in this earth. Fill me with your Spirit. Father, we have not prayed an idle prayer. i watched the hearts of your people over these last few months as we've led them along step by step. Lord, again, your dreams are being stirred up in their hearts. And yet, Lord, some of them are timid or frightened or maybe out in a desert place because, Lord, that vision was there before and they... Tried to make it happen, but they didn't know how to make it happen. Lord, I pray now that they pray for the spirit of might so they'll never be turned back by any discouragement. I pray, Lord, that you will grant them a spirit of the fear of the Lord so they'll never fear any man or any spirit that exists in this whole universe, Lord. I pray, Father, that you'll give them a spirit of counsel and a spirit of wisdom and a spirit of understanding. Lord, a spirit of burning that everything they touch, Lord, will manifest the fullness of your Holy Spirit, Lord. And Father, I pray that you blow their minds, Lord, with all of their fears, and say, well, this might happen, that might happen. Lord, let their minds be blown, and let them blow a trumpet with courage, and hold high the Spirit of God, and hold high the Word of God, and believe it and act upon it, Lord, and confess it out of their mouths like that trumpet gives a symbolism of, Lord. And Father, I pray in these next few weeks and months, We see in this church, Lord, all over this community, the gifts of healing, once again, because, Lord, we hold that as precious, Father. You told us to seek earnestly for the best gifts. Lord, we want healing to be restored to our church in the fullness, Lord. We want the casting out of the demonic to be restored in the fullness, Lord, that the poorest people that are out there in that community, some of them actually possessed by demons, Lord, to be delivered of those things, Lord and brought to the place where like Maniac of Gadara, he can be at a place where he can sit at the feet of Jesus and worship with the the Lord. Father, let us take your message of joy and hope to the ends of this earth, Lord. And the only way we're going to do it is by being filled with your spirit at all times. How many of you want that in your life? Say amen. Amen, amen Lord. Hallelujah.